Welcome to the Concrete Conservative. This is WSQF 94.5. How are you, Mr. Ed Vidal? I'm great. Looking forward to a great show today. In the first hour, we're going to have a call-in from Richard Lyons, who has written a book called The DNA of Democracy. Uh, Richard will tell us more about himself, but he's not just an ordinary political scientist. I think, in fact, he's a poet and a man of letters. So he's going to talk about democracy going back to the classical era. He starts in Israel, Greece, and Rome. Then he talks about Europe, I think city-states and England, uh, city-states during medieval Europe, and England with Magna Carta. I hope he'll talk about that. And then he'll come to the American democracy that we know from its foundation to the revolution to the Civil War. Uh, so he, he has a, a new book to, to plug, and uh, we, we should look forward to that. In the second hour, we will have a call from a, an old friend that we uh, called in during the summer, Phil Kirpin, from the uh, Washington think tank American Commitment, I think it's called. And uh, he's, he's going to talk to us about some health care policy issues. So we welcome those calls. And, and then, of course... Then, of course, in the studio, we have Maria Magdalena Estupinan, who is a, what I call, radical conservative. <laughs> she is not just concrete well, and constitutional. Uh, well, well, the truth is that uh, this is yours truly, Mac on the Rock on 94.5 FM, here in Key Biscayne, projecting conservative values as far as we can to Palmetto Bay. And on live stream, you can reach us at WSQFradio.com forward slash live anywhere in the world. And of course, 94.5 FM locally here in the surrounding areas of Key Biscayne. I think I know your husband. I'm pretty sure he's on my, uh, never met him face to face, but he, I might have him on Facebook. And he's not a political operative at all? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm not have, married. <laughs> and you're not married. <laughs> How about know. your brother then? Same last no, name? The, no, the, uh-uh. the, no, no, no. It's not you. No one, no one in my family in, well, in politics. Yes, but not with that last name. Wow, because so. that's what caught me. I have someone on my Facebook with a similar name. Really? I have a lot of Facebook friends oh, really? that, I, that I've never her met. Her daughter, right. I think, is also active. I've seen her at the uh, Americans for Prosperity. Right. Right. That might be. All right. So but, now, why is he calling you radical? Uh, well, uh, I, I don't know why. I think that's, that's the way that... Well, radical means you get to the root of things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, then, then I'm radical. Yes. Uh, my approach is uh, we have a problem, we have to solve it. It's not talking about it, it's doing something about it. So that's why I have been called radical so many times. So I keep knocking at doors to see who can help me. Okay, and and one of the things I know you're looking for is you're looking for some litigation support yes. uh, for some of these issues, right? Yes. Okay, and so far we uh, I think some of the traditional uh, libertarian and classical liberal and conservative litigators, like uh, for example Institute for Justice, have not quite fit into your. Uh, what you're looking for. So if there are any radical conservative litigators out there that uh, are interested in getting some interesting cases, uh, please call in or contact uh, WSQF 94.5 FM in Key Biscayne, and we will put you in touch with Maria Magdalena. I thank you so much. That would be wonderful. Yeah, I think that's really what she's looking for. And sometimes uh, I tell her, we tell her that she has, she's looking for legal uh, or court solutions to political problems, uh, but you know that doesn't that doesn't matter. That's part of you know. Sometimes that can be part of the solution. You don't have to do the whole thing. So uh, if anybody out there is listening and is yeah, wait, knows any have to hold it. knows any uh, is holding it, uh, the, will kill it. 
No, the okay. audience hears the noise. Okay. If you touch the microphone, it's blowing at the car speaker. It's going bananas. Okay. Yeah. People who are in their cars hear this. This bothers them. Absolutely. Can't do that. Yes. This is a living like an amoeba. So you guys just swing it across. In fact, you don't even have to swing it. You can just leave it in there between. Leave it in the middle. Okay, okay. Good. There you go. And that's what, even better. When he gets like really pompous, like Abraham Lincoln, he'll go like this. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln was not pompous. He'll go like this when he thinks like he's the judge. The, and this the far, Buddha. <laughs> and when you're that far away from the microphone, Nadia de Oye. Nadia. You have to be right here. This, like that. This is a monolingual broadcast. And I've been saying this for about a year now, so it's, I don't know it if it's, conser- it's a conservative voice. He likes to be back here. Yep. You know, you don't sound like Bill Clinton when you're back there, by the way. So tell us. Tell us. My issues? Yes. I have many. Okay. Okay. One of the issues right now that I am in at war with Cora Gables uh, Commission, and uh, I am planning since I don't have, I don't have the name and I don't have actually the money to do this, I have to find a solution to the problem. So how am I going to attract attention? Well, I'm going to take them to the um, ethics committee. Not all of them, but some of them. Well, we're going uh, to have to be... No problem. The second part of the show. I think this is no Rich. problem. Hopefully no problem. this is Richard sure. Lyons. Go ahead. This is WSQF 94.5. You're on the Concrete Conservative Show. I'm hoping this is Richard Lyons with Ed Vidal and I. How are you today? I'm very good. It is Richard Lyons. Hi, Richard. This is Ed Vidal. Thank you for calling. Yeah, no, uh, our audience is, uh, tunes into the Concrete Conservative show every, uh, once a week. And, uh, I heard you on, uh, on the Florida roundtable on Sunday morning. And I thought, uh, our audience would like to hear you because you should tell them about yourself. But my, my reading of it is that you're not just a, you're not just a political scientist. You're also a man of letters and maybe a poet. Is that correct? Yeah, so what, what prompted you to, to write a book about the DNA of democracy? Why don't you tell us about that and then lay out the, the, some of the, the aspects that you found about our democracy? Uh, I should start now, Ed? Sure, go ahead. Okay. Um, well, I, I, being, being of a poetical nature, you know, all my life I've studied history and philosophy and, and uh, literature and noticed how infrequent are the occasions that democracy has existed. Uh, in looking over history, the, the instances have been very few. Uh, comparatively, the instances of tyranny have been everywhere and all the time. I mean, if you if you look over the globe today, you see it everywhere. Yes. So, uh, in a, as being a student of history, I noted just how rare it is, how fragile it is, how passing a thing it is, and uh, that that sparked my interest. In, in discovering how yeah. it was uniquely uniquely formed in America, and what I found in in Greece, and in well, going back to Israel, then in Greece, then in Rome, then in England, then here, is that democracy is really just an idea. It's it's in the air, right? And it has to be it has to be founded in law. It has to be first. It has to be uh, proclaimed by heroes. Mm-hmm. Then it has to be founded in law. All right, so let me let me hold on a minute here and let me add some uh, interjection. I completely agree with what you say about democracy being very rare, 
And uh, one of the, I, I didn't, I haven't always lived in here in Miami, but one of the interesting things about Miami is that there are all these uh, independent films from Cuba. And one of the people who organizes them, Alex Rios at Miami-Dade College, was uh, giving an interview, and he said that he wished that Cuba were a common and ordinary country instead of this tyranny and misery. And afterwards, I told, I said, Alex, you know what? Uh <laughs> what is common and ordinary in world history is tyranny and misery. American liberty and prosperity is the exception. That's right. In, in, in America, we have the, the great benefit of being able to think that this happens everywhere all the time. Right, and that's a mistake. A lot of people don't realize that. Really big mistake, yes. Yep, all right. Well, like Reagan said, you know, you know, democracy can be lost. It's just one generation right. away from extinction. Yep. Now, now, do you think uh, we? You think we are in a situation? I mean, what what stage in the democracy do you feel we're in? Are we already we're beyond cognitive well, dissonance. Well, well, one, you, you were talking about how it's unique and how it's ba- it's founded by heroes and it's founded on the rule of law. So, why don't you go from there? Right. Uh, but they based our Constitution on the Constitution of those forebears with the addition of uh, the Iroquois idea of confederacy among states. Um, and so at the local level, we have a mimic of Athenian democracy, which is, which is uh, everybody participating in the democracy. It's direct democracy. Right. And so if, there's, if you want a Walmart to go up down the street... You all vote in an assembly whether that can happen or not. Okay. And at the at the state level, uh, there is the form of the Roman Republic, where everybody has representatives who meet in assemblies and who represent our interests. And then in the higher level, in the federal level, as it was supposed to be, uh, you have a federation, which is a representation of all the states and the peoples of those states. So right and really both the are a conglomeration of everything that came before us. Right and both in that in that federation is both are both represented the people and the states. And the states. And that's one of the complaints that I have about the 17th amendment. It took the states out of that federal system by having yeah. direct election of senators. Right. That that is true. Well, please emphasize when, I think the, that was 1913. Yep. Yeah, nightmare of 1913. In the, um, it all happened in one year. In 1913, I believe it was uh, February yeah. 16, July 17, and then uh, December the 23rd, when everybody was on a train going home for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, the record amount of pair votes were taken in Congress, where absentee voters got the vote impaired with uh, opposition voters and passed the Federal Reserve Act. But well, I no, think the recall. No, no, there are three things. First, the uh, direct election of senators was put in, taking out the state representative in our federal system. You just number said two, Amendment 17. Yeah, right. But then it, number it, two it, is. 16 came first. Was the income tax, that which came was first. connected with that. And then number three was the Federal Reserve taking the power over the currency away from Congress. Yep. Okay, so you repeated the three that we just talked about? Yep. Okay, thank you very much. Now. Okay. <laughs> Um, but what I need to emphasize that uh, Ed hasn't was the recall power 
to t- you know recall your senator when they misbehave. Right. The state legislature. Yeah, the state legislators lost that power. Forget it. As our senators are bought as soon as they get up to D.C., they represent yep. government, not the people. Once they're elected. Yeah. So this is a good instance when you on number three, the Federal Reserve is a good instance where I see um, our system of government being changed. We'll go back a little bit. When America was founded, I think it was founded based on those powers which existed without government. So you have have family and you have occupation and you have enterprise, you have faith associations, educational associations, right? But everything was local. Right. And everything locally was direct democracy. And where we're going now is so far away from that. It's, it's where the federal government and, indeed, at the executive branch, everything is being – all the powers of individuals and independent localities are being taken into Washington and into one branch of government through agencies. Especially the administrative state, which is extra-constitutional. Correct. Yeah, it's, it's in all these proliferating agencies which create more regulations than – Congress creates laws. I think in just last year, I'm not sure the exact figures, but the proportion I think I have right, if Congress passed 115 laws, there were 1,100 regulations uh, created. Right, right. In fact, some of the laws, like the, uh, let's see, Dodd-Frank had 243 cases in the statute passed by Congress that said the secretary shall issue regulations to cover this matter. So they were... (laughs) Delegating. It's really handing off, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Well, Reagan has the record still of the most recent presidents to have only averaged 53,000 laws and regulations throughout the year. Well, the, the average is like 80,000. The Trumpster is doing a good job I'm of sorry, cutting back. Did you say it's 80,000 regulations per year? 80, 85,000 laws and regulations per per session, yeah, per legislative session. So, of course, the government's going to be... Uh, bloated, and uh, we'll never we'll make we'll never reduce the size of government, no matter what party says it. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's the subject of the second volume of this series. So you're going to do it for us without what you, what without politicians? What, <laughs> Just answer? the book is going <laughs> to. I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna see what we can do. <laughs> yes, I guess we got to try. Yeah. yeah. Let, let me ask you about some of the proposed uh, solutions to this problem, which. I think a lot of people recognize. For example, well, you got to promise you're going to propose my solution. Well, it's been no, talked no, about no. in this state, <laughs> no, on this no. radio station, on a regular basis. No, uh, let's see. Well, have you are you familiar with the Convention of States movement? Uh, yes, I am. What do you think of that? I think it's a good idea. Okay, but how good is the idea? <laughs> because you know we always get rebuttals in some capacity or another. Well, Convention of States is something that has now 15 uh, states have. Uh, pursuant to Article 5 of the Constitution, the states can petition Congress and require Congress to call a convention to consider amendments to the Constitution. And right now we have 15 states. We have 34 states that are needed to call the convention, and then we would need 38 states to ratify amendments. And the Convention of States movement uh, has several uh, amendments. For example, one is a fiscal responsibility amendment because the debt and borrowing is going out of control, not a balanced budget amendment, because sometimes that can force uh, people to raise taxes. Uh, the second point is uh, limiting interstate commerce for the federal government, limiting their go- their power through the Interstate Commerce Clause. And number three is the term limits, and not just of congressmen and senators, but also judges and, you know, I think administrators as well. But anyway, those are 
those are the, the three uh, elements, and, and that's something that we're working on. That sounds great. Okay, I want to hear uh, Richard's idea because I'm pretty familiar with the Convention of States. So, uh, Richard, uh, how, how, do you, how do you first go up the bat against this albatross that is the government? idea is as good as mine, but um, I think by let, making everybody aware of um, the history that, that has occurred, that has taken power out of, away from uh, the local level, away from individuals and into uh, the federal government, and then from the federal government into a corner of the federal government, which is unresponsive into the agencies, Yep. and how much responsibility and money they have. But what about the punishment factor? Why is it that the, the electorate can't punish a party? Perfect example. The Democratic Party came out full line and sinker for health care. Started very early in the Obama administration's term. Eight years later, we've got a poor health care system than we, than we had originally. Why doesn't the electorate take it out well, on the Democrats? Well, they did. No, uh, they the, did, and they the put it right back. Took I'm sorry. They put six, it right back in the House. Well, they should have never gotten majority of any The Republicans in 2010 won 63 seats. So what? So they took control of the house. So what? So that was one step. Well, in tw- uh, in 2012 they're back in the they're back yeah, in the I saddle agree. again. And guess what? That's Obamacare because, stayed. Well, the problem is that, that the the representatives are not representing their constituents. Same thing is happening in England about Brexit. The people yeah. voted for Brexit and the parliament refuses to vote for it. Same thing happened with Paul Ryan when he was speaker of the house, he did not push for Obamacare review. He was not ready to repeal Obamacare. And then when they did have a half-assed uh, solution, McCain voted against it. That's the problem. It's part of the representative government. You're sending somebody else, an agent, to work to do your work, and they don't. the agents are not always faithful. So now, in the most recent budget that Trump uh, signed into law, that was the most grotesque budget well, in the history of the yep, United States? That was last year, yep. And it had put all the teeth in the Obamacare so, continue, Richard. Um, how do we get to the meat of the matter if that's going to happen to us? Um, Ed doesn't point out the fact that 46 representatives in the Republican Party chose not to run for re-election. Right. Well, they were scared away. That's right. Scared scaredy away. cats. Yeah, scaredy cats. So, what do we do when the electorate won't punish a party for lying to us, and the party that told the truth uh, bails, <laughs> bails out, and doesn't run for re-election? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, what can I've we do? said that the Democratic, that we got... Two problems with these parties. One problem is that the Democrats are dedicated to destroying the country, while the Republican Party is dedicated to destroying itself. Right. So you have Beautifully said. Yep. Well, you, you know, you have those problems. Abe but Lincoln. I, I think the solution is, and tell me I'm wrong, guys, but to get all the power out of the federal government back to the states, back to localities. That's to a do big. That, you have to demonstrate to persons why why government is unresponsive. And well, Going yep. back to your point, I think it was Ed who said, well, you, you just vote them out. The problem is all their relatives are in the agencies. Right. And <laughs> yeah. all their other relatives are in the, the lobbyists. And their kids are sitting on boards in the, foreign the companies. Two, the and, two, right, <laughs> and they're all talking to each other. Uh, yeah, there's, there are two million federal employees. They're all unionized government bureaucrats. They're there forever, perpetual, and it's, they're very hard to deal with. Well, the thing is, and I'm going to put this, it's, I think it's in the preface of, of Volume 2, is a structure like the government behaves like a living thing. Mm-hmm. And first it feeds, right? Right. So it grows. Then it creates itself a range. 
and it wants to widen its range throughout its life, and then it wants to defend that range. Right. Plus, it has to reproduce. <laughs> and and right. it reproduces. Now, yes. take a look at agencies. They reproduce themselves. Yep. And the more they do, the more they feed. Yes, and they have feeding uh, areas like some of the elite universities. Right, exactly. So you can look at universities now. That's another subject, which is, and I call it the towers, okay? And, and it goes to this whole notion that, you know, you might be able to vote somebody out, but they're, they're kids literally working in the agencies that they have to defend, right? Right. Well, the kid maintains his job there because why? Because you can't throw them out. They're in the union. You can't fire anybody right. without, I mean, gross cause. Uh, so well, that lead, this is a segue from my idea. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I'm going to throw my idea out after the fact. Because of that unionized federal employee, there's got to be a way to strong-arm unions by just cutting them out, 20% of them, because they're non-essential employees during the next budget impasse, and just give them all pink slips and negotiate with them later. And make it recurring, like uh, yep. like the Senate is. Right, just throw them out. And then, you know, it's going to cost you billions because you got to settle, you know, you're breaking union rules, but... Yeah. You've got to settle out with these people and have them move out of Washington, D.C. You know, it's funny that uh, two of the biggest supporters of government growth during the New Deal, Franklin Roosevelt, president, and Fiorella LaGuardia, mayor of, Me- of New York City, were both opposed to government unions because they realized the government unions would be interfering and bargaining against taxpayers. And so they were opposed right. to it. They didn't come in until... 1959 or so in Wisconsin, and then President Kennedy in 62 signed an executive order allowing federal government unions. Yeah, that, that, well, that's just them defending themselves. Um, So, but the mirror exists in France in what what they call the E-Col. Yes, yes. All government, all high-end government uh, officials come out of the E-Col, like everybody in our government comes out of the Ivy League. Right. And all their families intermarry, just like the old aristocrats used to do. Um, and then they favor each other. So, yes. you know, France, the whole revolution in France, just it just replaced one set of names with another. Right. It's still the same government. Yeah, today it's very hierarchical, I agree. So you, uh, you, so when you, when you, you can see that playing out today, how all these insiders are coming after Trump on a regular basis— from every single department and, in the executive branch. And from both parties. And from both parties, and then... And through a, and through a very biased media. Yeah. Well, there, so, the media is also another... Fee, uh, you know. Bureaucracy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so in your book, what, what in specific do you do to, to whittle away at this? Well, I think just through demonstration, and I, I don't... You know, it, as a writer, you don't have teeth. You don't have fangs in the game. You only have exposition. So is there is there an exercise that you will be able to read where, uh, what do you get special interest in, interest groups to uh, propose this to government or is it some particular action like uh, draining draining the the funds from these departments? I think that you know the convention of the states is a great idea, and I think of course it can be attacked through budget because if you starve them, they will go somewhere else. You know. Uh, yeah. So that, but my volume one is a showcase of how our democracy became itself because it, there was no government, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? 
And so all this piling on of government now, uh, in contrast, is a pretty stark contrast. Right. So and what so kind of response have you been getting to your first volume? I know that you know, you've been on a few radio shows. What, what response? For example, the mainstream media, what kind of response are they giving you? Well, I haven't had any. Yeah, they, they're, they're probably trying to ignore you. I've gotten excellent uh, critical reviews. Excellent critical uh, reviews. Wait, that's a misnomer. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but it was, I've done very well on that. Uh, but the response otherwise is um, not so good. I'm, I'm uh, trying to emphasize getting on Salem Radio now. Well, I think we, what I what I saw on the Internet is that you, uh, the, the uh, conservative media, the the conservative websites, which are a small sliver, were very favorable and uh, very positive. But the mainstream media just ignores uh, books and ideas like yours. Yes. And uh, I, I think that would, that, you know, they, it's all one big organism. And so they just want to ignore the, the opposition. Think, you know, the, the, the media is pretty much like the Praetorian Guard now. Right. It really is a Praetorian Guard. And they didn't like Caligula, and when Caligula pissed them off, they, you know, they got rid of him and took Claudius. Mm-hmm. And it, this is the same sort of thing. You, you don't, who, who really rules is a good question. Well, well I think they, the, it's funny, they think they rule. They think the administrative state should rule. Yeah, because, you know, they're intermarried with them. Right. Yeah, so is, are there any particular examples, of, like... Wouldn't there be cool to have a book about the intermarriage and the name, the names, and when they got married, how they met, and what departments they got? That would be pretty cool. There you go. A book written about bureaucrats and how they married by hanging out at, at tea parties in Washington, D.C. <laughs> We're seeing some of it from um, from Peter Schweitzer, right. who is going into that. Uh, so there are some, you know, and you only see them on Fox. Um, but they seem to be, he seems to be adept at at uh, spelling this out. Yeah, it's amazing that he, not only can he do it, be public about it, and stay alive. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's it's really amazing. Everybody else seems yeah. to, like, uh, commit suicide and stuff and fall in front of trains. Yeah. But it's, uh, it really is remarkable that I have a different, uh, uh, I say it differently, I guess it's because of uh, my radio experience. I believe uh, that... You know, the federal government's anywhere between 22% and 35% of the entire U.S. economy. So I believe in and of itself, it's the third largest economy in the world by $2 trillion over Japan. So nobody really wants to shrink it because everybody needs to steal from it, including foreign entities. So between that and the military industrial complex... Well, no one's going to reduce the size of government. It's the third largest economy in the world that by right itself. Right now, when Trump tries to withdraw from Syria, the entire military-industrial complex is complaining, and the Democrats are now the war party. Yeah, really. Uh, they were so anti-Bush. And, and, and it wasn't the even former funny. Admiral McRaven wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street, in the New York Times, proposing a coup, saying uh, Trump is unfit for office; he should be removed. Isn't that incredible? How, and Bush was so chastised for even invading Iraq. And now it's a Democrat. No, just because it's a business. Yeah, it is it's a, a business. business. War is a business. Yeah, and very and very profitable one. Gentlemen, I would posit that so is any the dependency industrial complex. Right, any government program yeah. creates its own dependence, whether they're crony capitalists or welfare recipients or government bureaucrats working in them. Three you classes. The, you have the dependents that are supposed to be paid off. You have those who pay them and those who approve the payment. 
Right. And they're all conflict of interest voters that keep the Democratic Party in power. (laughs) It's a triple hierarchy. Now, uh, do you think if we were just, through the Convention of States, were to uh, repeal the 16th Amendment and have a serious... uh, Repeal the income tax? Yeah, repeal the 16th Amendment. I don't need to call it the income tax. It's the 16th Mm -hmm. Amendment. Repeal it uh, literally by the Convention of the States... Do you think that we could uh, keep the states from uh, warring against each other if the states were to, each and all 50 of them, pass consumption taxes at different levels, uh, encouraging you know residents to move from one state to the other based on these consumption taxes, and then ethically and morally fund the federal government? Or do you think we'd all end up fighting each other in a war with, with really mediocre National Guards? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. But I like the idea. I- Part of the problem, I think, as you two have suggested, is that the government is the central exchange of a massive amount of money. Yeah, it's really gross. And not to mention when they get involved in curriculums. And and then it's dispensed. With, you know, with strings attached. Yeah, with strings attached. So that would, you know, and and that goes to the whole university system. Yeah, it explains a stupid 55-mile-an-hour speed limit for so long. Just it just raised the uh, the court system, all the be- the fees and, and traffic violations, and it was disgusting. But you you either lowered it to fifty five, or you wouldn't get highway funding. It's disgusting. And guess what? We all end up crashing into each other because we're all sitting in the same lanes at fifty four miles an hour, and we're not passing each other. So obviously the speeder is weaving in and out. It, the whole thing was stupid. That's agenda twenty one. Yeah, and it, no, it was earlier than that. It was Richard Nixon, uh, the gas crisis provoked the 55-mile-an-hour speed limit. That's a, that's a tremendous example, because that's true. Yeah, in 55, the, uh, the OPEC crisis in 72-3, he took, uh, you know, never let a crisis go to waste, and he jumped all over it to lower the speed limit uh, in a, on a falsified narrative that we're going to save gas. And the truth is, it was a bunch of DOT bureaucrats uh, claiming uh, driver safety, and it was a disaster because it really created a legal system for speed the speed limit. Uh, I mean, speeders, and they just stole a bunch of money from a bunch of speeders, and it just created bureaucracies in every county because they had to enforce the speeding tickets, and it just created an administrative state. And and you go into the the traffic court, and you find. The, uh, the class of citizen that need that least needs to be in court because they need to be well, working. The, the, the other extreme of that are red light cameras, which fortunately are now being done away with. Yeah, you can you can see how forty years later. So, is there anything in particular in your book that you would like to like a little nugget uh, that will be in volume two, or is in volume one that will entice people to you know go to uh, Barnes and Noble and Amazon.com to buy your book? Well, it's gonna it's gonna have. It's a, it's a multi-part uh, volume two, whereas volume one spelled out all the ingredients necessary to maximum democracy. Volume two is going to show how it's been constricted over time now for the past 50 years. And, and the first, the first uh, part is dedicated to the growth of government. Uh, the second part is the moving away from people's representatives or the people's direct ability to change anything. And the third is um, what I call Leviathan, and that's when you prick the, the Leviathan, how it defends itself and how it attacks different people, associations, um, 
well, like the little sisters of the poor. I mean, how... <laughs> yeah, that's pretty and, rude. And, and, you know, and, and also spying on different uh, people in the media that disagree uh, with a certain party. Well, it's, it's quite bad. Well, harassing political opponents like the IRS taking on the Tea Party groups that were asking for tax-exempt yes, exactly. status. Exactly. That uh, I being one of them. Yeah, there you go. That's prominent. Or then it, protecting a favored political candidate like ignoring Hillary Clinton's missing emails and her whole uh, homebrew server. I remember well, my personal experience uh, winning this uh, license was by ladder. In other words... The license that I have to broadcast in 94.5 was a lottery, but it required that I have a 501c3 after I win the lottery. So I get selected first, and then I have a certain amount of time mm-hmm. in order to get the processing of the 501c3, but it had to be consistent with the construction permit, because actually what I won in the lottery was a permit. So I, in the in the meantime, now that I have this permit, i got to go marching around my community for you know, third-party antenna sites, it has to be up in the air at least 125 feet up in the air in order for me to have any kind of radius here. So imagine me doing all this work. Now I got to design a, an antenna. I got to engineer an antenna. I got to fund the antenna. I've got to get insurance in the antenna, and then I got to build out a studio. Meanwhile, I'm waiting for a 501c3 approval. Right. But I was on record already of being a tea partier because there's photos all over Facebook. That I was in the first Tea Party rallies. I didn't go to the, the the first one in 2009. I wish I would have. I really regret not being there. That would must have been just completely fantastic. Uh, I wish I was. But I went to uh, several Tea Party rallies here in Florida afterwards. And I'm, of course, involved. I'm the early one of the early early 500 of us that started the Convention of States movement. So I'm one of those 500 as well. I could not get approved, and I was getting these calls from the IRS people that it sounds very intimidating, but since I was bullish on America, kind of, I was kind of brash with them. Why are you asking these questions? Why, what does that have to do with radio broadcasting? Da, 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 da. Uh, yes, it's obvious I'm conservative. I put it in the application. I wasn't hiding that from you. My God, it was going en- endless, endless, endless. Well, guess what happens? I finally realized, wait a second, I need a liberal attorney. I need a, like a really profound Democratic Party you know, yeah. total lefty, I paid them what I had to pay them. And can you believe it? The bill for the legal fee and the approval for the 501 came in the same freaking mailbox, same day. Okay? The bill, I open up one envelope, you owe. We've actually used your retainer, basically. You're not getting any back because you had to pay that in advance or else they wouldn't have done anything. And the approval, as if the, the, the same person who licked both envelopes. <laughs> Incredible. And here I am. Now, I'm only waiting for them to all of a sudden tell me that I said something too bold. I I don't know. I've already been censored on Instagram and on Facebook. I can't use Facebook Live anymore. I press Facebook Live and it says, you've abridged community standards on more than one occasion. So so you've been loomered like Laura Loomer. Yeah, me and Laura Loomer. Yeah, no, that doesn't help either. During the debates, me and Laura Loomer are hanging out doing selfies together on her Facebook Live, because she has these other individuals who do Facebook Live with her, obviously. Everybody's videotaping Laura Loomer because she doesn't have her own account. And sure enough, there I am. I come out. So I noticed that from that moment on, I was censored, which is now the red, the, the official red badge of courage. How about that? Yeah, you need to be censored by social media or you're nothing. You've just mentioned that you had to go through to get where you are. It's remarkable. 
Yeah, it was very intimidating to have these people call me and call me, different persons to see if I'm inconsistent uh, in my questioning, like I was being persecuted. Then I had someone really high up in the IRS uh, looking into my LinkedIn account, and that was very intimidating because it wasn't from the nonprofit. Uh, it wasn't from the nonprofit department. It was from audit department. You know, so just the title alone is very intimidating. So I'm saying, am I going to ever get approved? I wonder if I ever if I'm ever going to get approved. And uh, like I said, it all happened in the same mailbox. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. They were licking both stamps. And then after that, of course, they spied, surveilled an opposition presidential candidate, uh, surveilled a president-elect, and then tried to stage a coup against a duly elected president. So there is the Obama police state. Absolutely. He also expanded presidential uh, directive number 19, where he expanded the whistleblower statute from the GSA to the uh, the intelligence uh, uh, community, which created a bunch of... A bunch of snitches within the CIA, DIA, and NSA. Anybody who didn't like each other, now we're free to go they're, after each other. They're all plants. Unbelievable. And what was the name of that? Ed? A presidential directive number 19, the expansion of the whistleblower statute, October the 10th, 2012. Maybe it's October the 12th. I know it's very close to my birthday because mine's the 11th. And I was saying, oh, how fitting that the anniversary, I think it was the day before my birthday, I'm, I was... My birthday is the 11th of October. So I'm now 55, and I stay in my lane, and I drive the speed limit. How about that for a full circle of radio? It's as though they knew uh, what they'd be doing for impeachment today, all those years ago. Well, apparently he did, he did it to uh, pin Romney. And, um, and uh, the Benghazi thing blew up in his face. Hillary and, 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 uh, and Obama obviously were arms-dealing you know, Libyan weapons to Syria. Right, and they it all blew up in their face. They they know that to be true because there was a guy named Theory, who was charged with these offenses in the arms dealing, and he was found innocent in trial. And in that trial, it came out that uh, it was Hillary and Obama who cut me out of this deal, and I did it. I bid on these arms deal legitimately, and I was cut out mysteriously. His name is uh, T H I E R Y, and he came out publicly and said, "Yeah, they cut me out of this deal." So I know that I was being falsely accused about weapons I sold in Libya that were just, I never sold. They did. The executive branch sold these weapons. And basically they just emptied Gaddafi's war chest. And um, the person who was most on top of it was uh, Senator Marco Rubio. He was out there publicly saying, these Libyan weapons are ending up in Syria. And look. About the- you know, I remember that very well. Yeah, and there's a reason why Marco was on to that. So... What was so mediocre about Romney's candidacy is he bought into the video narrative. I mean, come on! No, he 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 pulled back his punches. Forget it. Look at look at what how ridiculous he is now. Yeah, and Candy Crowley sabotaged the last debate for him, and he bought he into that one too. It. He allowed it. He allowed it. Exactly right. Because if you remember Obama in that debate, he he was looking down. He was sitting on the stool. He realized this is the moment that Romney's going to chop my head off, right. and Romney didn't chop his head off. Well, he he held back, couldn't do it. That was the famous debate where he said that China was not a uh, wasn't even Russia. A, uh, uh, yeah, the Russia, China. Yeah, sorry, Russia that Russia a wasn't the, uh, the threat that Romney claimed it was, and Romney again he failed to hammer yeah, that point. He didn't do it. That was a failure of leadership. He's Woody in so, Toy Story. So Richard, Woody. So I mean, come on, tell me Romney isn't Woody in Toy Story. 
All you gotta do is put a cowboy hat on him. Yeah. He walks like him, talks like him, the whole thing. Oh God! All right. So it was wonderful having you. Is you have another question? We have, a, have a we have a guest in our studio. Richard, she's sitting with a bunch of papers, and she's not going to say anything. We have an activist here from Coral Gables who's been. Uh, I don't know. I can't tell if she wanted to ask you a question or not, but she's totally enthralled by the conversation. Well, thank you very much for your time. It was. Uh, we we hope to have you again. Ed, it was a great joy. Thank and you. I learned a lot. You bet. We're trying. Are you, we're are trying you in our best. Sarasota. Uh, yes, I'm on the other coast. Okay, so if you ever come down to sunny South Florida, let us know. I'm already there, but if I come to your side of it, I'll I'll give you a call. All right. Yeah, thank a perfect you. question for you for from Sarasota. I'm sorry, say. Yeah, there's a perfect question for you in Sarasota. Maybe you can answer it. Who is backing Charlie Kirk from Sarasota? There's a big money. Charlie Kirk. Yes, Charlie Kirk is being funded by Turning two guys. Point USA. Yes, by two guys from Sarasota. I want to know who they are. <laughs> Anna. Like Charlie Kirk. I love him, yeah. I yeah. think he's a bomb. I've met him. I met him on one occasion, but I got to get to them to get to him because he looks right through me when I talk to him, and um, I need him to do something really important with the public school well, system that only he can do. Turning Point USA is having a conference in Palm Beach in December, Manny. So that could be a time to go. Yeah, well, I've been to that one, and it's enormous, and he'll look right through me because it's packed in there. And remember, he's you All know right. Elvis Presley in those big conferences. He's got no time to really get into details. But, yeah, I want to amend the, the only direct ballot-based parent trigger law in all of the United States. And if I can amend it, since I was the first to use it in 2013, it would spread to the other 49 states. And we can finally reinvent the public school system because parents will get the funding directly to their schools as they get elected to governing boards. And you cut out public superintendents. How about them apples? And only Florida has the law, but I need to change it because... It makes makes it impossible to win these elections without being abused, and your kids get abused well, as they abuse my children. But uh, Charlie's the next generation, so I like for him to sound the horn at all these uh, Turning Point USA events. That sounds great. So until then, my friend, and see if you can find out who funds okay, Charlie well, Kirk. That'll be interesting. They told him, please don't go to college, and they started funding him. How about them apples? Don't go to college. You're too talented. Stay with us. We'll fund you. And, and it, it, man, it created Turning Point USA. And I saw these people there live, and he kept on looking at them while he was doing his campus clash. And there was a certain symbiotic uh, eye contact relationship that I've, I'm very familiar with in, in backdoor politics. And I couldn't approach them, and he never approached them. So there was like a distance there, you know, the, never to like uncover your uh, associations. But they were there. They were older gentlemen. They were definitely in their 50s and 60s. I believe they were in their 60s since I'm in my 50s. I hate to think that they were the same age as me. But uh, there was something going on, and I found out later they're from Sarasota. Uh Uh-huh. So something, um, a round table with them, please. Something, something's percolating. Yes. So it's a wonderful meeting. you. This is Mac on the Rock and Ed Vidal for the Concrete Conservative saying bye to Richard Lyons. Thanks, guys. Take care. Okay, Magdalena, you know, just burst out. Give us your entire rebellion. How can we change the name of Coral Gables to Gables Corals? <laughs> so what did you think of that, uh, that that presentation? The guy. Oh, excellent. 
Excellent. The only thing that I don't agree with, and I don't agree with you guys, and I'm sorry, I, I, it's it's funny it's okay. because they call me radical, okay? Yeah, radical and, means you go to the root of things. <laughs> That's where the word comes from. Okay, but I really do not agree with that con-con. I, I think it's going what to be a convention of states. Yes, convention of states. It's going to be a runaway convention No way, of can't have states. it. Uh, it's designed it in a manner which it's impossible yeah. for it to happen. All right, so let me, let me Remember, answer, after the convention, let me ask, 38 yeah, but states but, have to ratify. But, but Go my, ahead. My, my you point is, you, you people should know by now how they work. The left is all-powerful, <laughs> okay? No, they can't. They can't they, there's no way. Okay, then explain it to me. I would, li- okay, I would love a, to know. Here's the we we deal all, with that. That's the number you, one you issue we deal with. 34 states to call a convention. And then in order to approve any amendment, you need... 38 states. That means 13 states. So it goes around the bend twice. We already have 15 that are hardcore conservative states. So there's two levels of protection. Second, uh, people like Mark Levin and Antonin Scalia. Scalia had that same concern, but he came around. He said it is not likely to be uh, become a runaway convention. We, right now, we have a runaway yeah. government. And then the, the go ahead. Yeah. yeah. No. No. I think that Scalia was uh, was pro. At the beginning, and I think that he kind of went no, like, no, no, the other way around. I don't think so. Sure? Okay. No? okay. Okay. So the other argument is, right now, you're worried about a runaway convention. Yeah. Right now, there are four runaway conventions in session. Okay. The a executive branch, the yeah, Congress, president with Supreme a phone Court. and a pen, writing DACA regulations that he had said where he, he didn't have the authority to write, and and making law out of whole cloth. Remember, there's a there's it. a real big issue that I see. As we do this radio show, and as I'm uh, a more uh, bull in a china shop in the conservative movement, but I've been at it for much longer than most people because this started with anti-Castroism when I was 12. My mother and father were founders of the Cuban American Foundation. I was anti-Castro when I was eight, so yeah, <laughs> in Cuba. <laughs> yeah. So when you see things like they are for a long time, and my father served in the Reagan administration, I got to see. My brother was uh, involved with Jeb Bush very early on in the Colina Group, so developed real estate with Jeb. I got to see things for what they were, not for what is seen from the what I call the upper stands. Okay, there's a big there's a big problem when you are the person who caused the problem, and when you're the generation who causes the problem, chances are you're not the person who can solve the problem because you 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 allowed it to happen. Ed Vidal is a perfect example. He's from that generation that pretty much created this chaos. 62. Yeah. The 60s generation. No, 19, all, I mean, I'm 62 years old. No. But in the 60s generation, for instance, they watched a bunch of things go on, like no-fault divorce, the peace movement, the anti-war movement, and then the no-fault divorce crushed them because they're all divorced. We're all divorced. I'm divorced. You're divorced. and not divorced. Not but, yet. Yeah. <laughs> but My wife's listening. There's a lot of things going on in our society and the end of the day, you just you're you're guilty of fearing the change you seek. Okay? It's not so obvious. Like for instance, this gentleman said, you really want to dismantle the government, you wean them of their money. But you won't go to the degree of what I'm suggesting because you fear the change you seek. And I put it out there right up the get-go. States starting to fight each other if they don't share with the federal government the consumption taxes they collect. They're already collecting sales taxes. They're already collecting real estate taxes. Add invoice taxes to that. Invoice per industry. An invoice. You do business in agriculture, you get hit with this kind of invoice. You get 
do business with lumber. So are you proposing higher taxes? I'm proposing income tax and the repeal of the income tax. Now the government's going to say, no way. Literally march into your state and say, no way. Well, if we at the Convention of States repeal the income tax, which I don't find them that enthusiastic about, because mm-hmm. I've already been through uh, two simulations, I'm in communication with Ed and, and their boys, they, they, they pretty much are being led, we're all being led by the nose, and until people grab, grab the microphone and immediately champion my ideas the minute I stand up in these conventions and say things that I do not fear the change I seek, because I'm actually proposing things in writing, all in a book, and I am the master blaster. But if you don't get behind me right away, you're going to lose the chance, because very few people are like me to go ahead and say something like this. And what they immediately shoot it down, they fear the change they seek. And guess what? You know what we end up getting? That's the stupid term limits and balanced budget amendment, which is disaster. Because it's a disaster for Florida, the term limits. It was a disaster for California. Look, they became a one-party system after term limits. No, it wasn't because of term limits. It was because of illegal immigration okay. that allowed a you lot fear, of You fear the change you vote. seek. He immediately denies that. No, he really believes term that. Term limits are not a bad thing. It's no. a terrible thing. No. Well, but it, came, it comes from the generation that screwed us. Term limits. You know what happens to term limits? You see right now in Florida, the, the, the average representative in Florida is no older than 40 years of age. You no longer get the astute statesman who's already been successful in life, who runs for Congress later and stays the rest of well, his career. In, so in, I'll, against that, I'll give you Barbara Flynn Curry, who just retired last year in 2018. She was in the House of Representatives for the state of Illinois for 40 years. Okay, but that was in that, a single-party uh, state. Well, no, no, it doesn't matter. Yes, it, it does. See, you just, party, you, just, you just discounted where the single proof is. Single-party district. Cause Illinois has had a, a, a competitive Republican Party in the past. It's just that Chicago is so much bigger that it's taken control. But no she one's was ever, there no one's for ever, 40 years no one's from ever the de- south side You couldn't Chicago. defeat her. You couldn't defeat her. Right. Okay, that's denying what we both agree that is the principle of our government. Competition. Exactly. Win. If you can't win... It won't be because no, of term limits. but the founding fathers were not counting on professional career politicians. Okay. They were counting but they on weren't people counting that have a on, they weren't counting and on do something else. Okay, I'll give you the worst thing that could possibly happen. Because here, she's actually a known person, and all those years that she was making mess of Incumbency things. Incumbency is a big factor, the positive. The bigger factor is this. Now, imagine this. Please focus on what I'm saying, because it happened in real life. Okay. In the most monumental case, which is me personally, so I can tell the story for what it really is. In 1996, Lawton Childs passed a parent trigger law, the only one of its kind stolen from Jeb Bush's platform when he beat Jeb Bush. He let it sit there. He passed it to say he's for school choice. He passed it his way. Teachers vote separate from parents. That's not a parent empowerment law. That's a teacher empowerment law because they veto the parents' vote. You have to win two separate elections. Plus, the parent has to win two elections. Eight years go by. He, he dies on a bicycle. Lieutenant governor finishes the term, and then he runs. Uh, Jeb Bush runs in a special election. Jeb now has the charter school thing in his hand because he was the father of charter. He does nothing with this law. Can even claim that I didn't even know that Lawton passed it. Uh, after I lost the election, I was depressed, standing in a corner, and I didn't even know what Jeb. No, but, but this is what happens. Don't interrupt me, religious, okay, Don't, because I run five circles around you. 
What's really sad is because of term limits, now comes 2013. In 2010, don't ask me how, but uh, Charlie Chris puts teeth in this law from 1996 to 2010. Term limit, term limit, term limit, term limit. Nobody even knows that this law exists. Yet this guy somehow, don't know how, I really don't, because it's the the kind of person who wouldn't do this. He puts teeth in the law and makes it the most un-American law you could possibly imagine. He's the one that has the teachers voting against the parents. His administration, that's not conservative. It's totally un-American voting law. Wasn't that in the original statute? Here comes the worst part about it, to show you how wrong you guys are. Because you got, I can leave to, I can leave the state now. You can't leave it when it when it's federal term limits. There's nowhere to go. You can't go to Cuba. You can't go to Mexico. You can't go anywhere. I can leave to another state because I'm so pissed off about this un-American law. I can't go anywhere when there's term limits in, in the state. I get up there to amend the law. I'm the first to use it. Now I'm a testimony. The term limited guys didn't even know the law existed. That's no excuse. Here it is. They need to know. And guess what they were doing? They gobbled they gobbled up two. Two, legislative sessions, 2011, 2012, 2012, 2013. You know what kind of ammo was lost at a time when I am the answer? They wouldn't even admit that, why are you trying to pass? Check this out. Why are you trying to pass with Jeb Bush's advocacy and Gates's advocacy as Parent Revolution and uh, uh, Florida Freedom in Education, which is Jeb's PAC? They come together, they get... Carlos Trujillo, Mike Paleca, Manny Diaz, Kelly Starger, John Legg, and uh, Don Gates. These were all legislators, right? All these legislators who didn't even know the law existed. Well, there's no because excuse of term for that. limits. No, no, no. There's no excuse okay? for not knowing. And the guess law. what? I defeated them both times because that law never passed simply because of my testimony and me being on alert. Twenty twenty time the Senate both times. You can see how one man can stop something by one vote, and both times it was Diaz uh, Diaz Portilla from local. But I got lucky that it was 2020. Okay? Imagine that at the, at the federal level. You'll never, ever, ever, ever change this government. Ever. Nobody will know what the other person is doing. Here's another example. In Illinois, when a Republican president vetoed a tax increase. Republican governor. Governor's, governor vetoed a tax increase. The state legislature overrid his veto. And everybody fled to fled Illinois. 20% of its population like 5% of them were the working, uh, the, the capitalist class fled to Ohio and Wisconsin. But they could because taxes got too high. You'll have, with term limits, you have people falling their nose, jumping from Senate to the House, from Senate to the House, like they do here in Florida. Thad, uh, Thad Altman, who was a senator, is now a congressman. Can I say something? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So let me let me answer to, to, to what you just said. The problem here is, and, and I understand what you're saying, uh, but uh, but I do agree with him that there's no excuse for not knowing. There is an excuse. You just heard it. I just told you the excuse. Uh, okay. Just because you were not in the legislature doesn't mean you don't need to know the law. No, but you realize what you're saying? You guys are both talking like two people who no, fear the change they no, see. No, but wait, 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 wait a minute. Let me finish. You so, think that that's a moral statement? That's not a fact no, statement. No, but but let me get there. So what I'm saying is, so you agree with Nancy Pelosi, uh, Schumer, uh, all these people that are 30, 40 years, 25 years. You know what they do? Why not? No, they're no, a no. reminder of what I not like. No. I think the, the most 
The people who've done more propaganda you, for you the Republican why? Party because, has been Schumer and Pelosi. Because the problem is that that is why they make, they they do do this like little mafia, and they control everything. So there's no way that you can do anything. Yeah. Because, you see what I'm saying? It's the, just, the founding fathers not did not intend to uh, have uh, career no, politicians. Absolutely. Chuck absolutely. Schumer has never held a job in the private sector. Yeah. He went from Harvard Law School to the state legislature in New York to Congress okay. to the Senate. If you keep on using that, there was never term limits in the colonial period. That's because people didn't live that long. Time out. The people didn't Did you live just hear what I say? And most of the that's people a liberal argument. That's a classic example most of someone of the who fears went to changes. Government had other businesses. You couldn't make a living in government that's right. at that time. And and different moral uh, standards. Right. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it, it was Washington. So you think you're gonna, you think you're going to sanitize the moral standards of this country with term limits? No, it it will help it. No, yeah. it won't. It will turn into okay. a single party since. Uh, all right. Well, we disagree. Yeah. Okay. And California. But, but guess but what? Me, I can't afford to be wrong. Why? Because that generation screwed us. And my generation screwing my kids. And you guys are totally wrong. We can't go back. Right? Because if I'm if if I'm wrong, it's status quo. If you guys get your changes and you ruin the country, there's no going back. You realize once there's term limits, it's over for this country. It'll That's be a not single po- true. It'll be a single it's a, government. In fact, term limit is the most popular Amendment Precisely. proposed by the Convention of States. Everybody Precisely why it's it. wrong. And there's a separate term Guess limit. Guess what else was really popular group. in this country? I, and I'm not saying Prohibition. a short term. No, income tax. No. I'm not saying a short term. A tenant from the, the Communist Manifesto. I'm not saying a short term like four years. I mean, you can have eight or you ten can years, have... Ten years, yeah. Ten years you know, for congressmen, 10, 12, 12 but, for senators. But, okay, you are out. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Give somebody else a chance. Give somebody else. Guess Go what? The next guy will come and won't know anything. They do. They can learn it. Not anything. No, Ignorance you can't. Of the law you can't is know. no excuse. That's you always know. been there. Look at the congressman. The congressman, every two years, are running. Okay? It's a fanciful government. It's a, The House has always been a fanciful thing. Well, that's why they over Small districts, and they, they're very mediocre. Okay? Right. Those terms should be extended so they can actually govern instead of campaigning the whole time. It's two, uh, two years. But that, no, no. That was the idea. The, two no, no, years is that, enough. No, no. No, guess what? They're no, always campaigning. Years, They're raising money too, the whole time. Yeah, two, two years is too short. Yeah. Uh, as soon as you get elected, you're raising money already. Cause you're, that and, is, and that is true. And listen, that's, there that's were people in the, when the when the Constitution was proposed, there were lots of people who wanted annual elections, including Mrs. Ma- Mrs. Madison or Abigail Adams. Some of the ladies wanted annual okay. elections. Here's a good example. You just cited the Founding Fathers are not wanting career politicians. Right. Okay. Yes. Then you cite the same Founding well, Fathers' the who wives. Didn't get their way. They didn't get You can't their have way. it both ways. No, they didn't get their way. They said two years. It's a compromise. Uh, and then senators have six years, and they're staggered. And uh, I think the convention states would propose term limits on congressmen, on senators, on federal judges. And There, yet, there yeah. I won't disagree because the, gov- the, the judges, I can see them being termed. Yeah, it makes them sense to be termed because they won't reevaluate. Their law, the how they judged law. Well, they, could, we also, all they develop... could also be reappointed after their term is up. I mean, but they just have to be reappointed. But uh, going back to the runaway convention, there are four runaway conventions in session right now. Number one is a president with a pen and a phone writing executive orders. Also, even worse, we're going to have a call in a couple of weeks. Not only not writing executive orders, but writing like suggestions. Like the bureaucrats will send out guidance letters. 
without making it a, a real law, guidance, and then people have to respond to that. Number two. Notice uh, how Ed is touching the microphone again. Okay. Number two. I can hear it. Is, I can hear that. Okay. Number two is the judiciary is out of control. They're legislating from the bench, and that's why they need to be reined in. Yes. Number three is the, uh, the, the Congress itself. They are a runaway convention by over-delegating, and they're yes. shirking their responsibility to legislate. And then number four is this executive uh, administrative branch, which is not in the Constitution, which is doing the actual legislating. They're writing the regulations. I told uh, Richard Okay, Lyons, you heard, you heard his, uh, his reasoning for term limits? What's that? Okay. Look how easily you can solve the term limits organically. You put attendance milestones, requirements, in order to run for re-election. You yeah. have to be sitting in there, like attending school. You don't graduate from one grade to the next. And not only sitting there, you have to vote. You have in to be Congress, voted. Right, so you're on record. You have to vote. You're, you're on record. Yeah, you can't do an Obama, no contest. Right, you're on record. What was it called uh, in Illinois that he did? No, uh, there's a name for neutral vote. Uh, Obama. Present? Uh, present? Yeah, I think he voted present right. throughout his yeah. legislation. So he can, there uh, you go. Well, so, and But see, this fourth uh, branch of the government, which is not in the Constitution, yes. is both they're legislating, so they're writing the law, they're enforcing the law because they have prosecutorial powers, and then they have administrative law judges where you're a judge. Yes. So the separation of powers is destroyed in these bureaucracies. And that's, you know, the, the Constitution was based on separation of powers. Well... All I can tell you is in Florida, you've got a bunch of 30-year-olds who don't know what the hell they're doing. They're in Tallahassee today all because of term limits, because you use it as a resume builder. Going into politics is for your life after politics, and that's very sad because there's a high school in there. You go to Tallahassee, you go to Tallahassee right now, as I did, and I'm just watching a bunch of 30-year-olds. For example, Carlos Trujillo, he was part of this petition-based parent trigger law. I go, Carlos, there's a ballot one already in the books in 1996. He wouldn't like that. John Legg. Well, that, that's no excuse. They the, have to so know the get, law. That's an oh, oh, old maxim. You can't say the there's no excuse. It's because it, of term limits that is the excuse. Sir, Sir Thomas Moore would have told you, ignorance of the law is no excuse. You have to know it. No. That is a, that's exactly the problem I had with Chris Ann Hall. We have a problem in this country, and What's you're that? trying to fix it on semantics, on virtues that don't exist. There is no exist. We just finished talking about it for an hour with this gentleman. Government is an opiate. It's a, it feeds itself. It grows That's from there. True. You've ignored all that by telling me there's no excuse not to know the law. I'm telling that. you they're not going to know the law. If you turn people out, you turn people out, no one will say, hey, 1996, we passed a, 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 ballot, a direct ballot. I'm, a, I'm against that for that reason. And say it on the floor of the, of the Senate. There was no one to say it because they were turned out. That's a devastating law because why? I didn't have the ammo four years later. We're in 2019 already. You think I've gone to Tallahassee again after that nightmare? That law didn't pass, but either has mine, and how many kids are being set back because of it. And everybody's been asking in this country, everybody, 320 million people, how many are parents? I don't know, 120, 140? Everybody's been asking for parents to be involved in schools, and not one person in this country except for this person and this microphone who built this radio station just to be able to say what I'm about to say over and over again, Think about that, meaning I'm the most important guy on the radio in this country. The only way to get back schools is to take them back through elections of the school. Okay, so let's explain to our audience if they don't already know. Florida has a, a law that allows the parents to petition to take over their local public school. Yes. However, 
The law requires a positive vote of two classes. Number one is the teachers. And I think that was put in there on purpose. By Lawson Childs and Charlie Crist. To undermine that law, because that gives the teachers' unions a veto. And second is you have to get a majority of the parents. And then once Who are it, intimidated by the teachers. Well, right. Or, or, or you know, they have to stand up on their own feet, like the uh, Minutemen at Concord Bridge. There you go with your virtuous That's thing. right. You, so you're right. You need civic virtue to have a free people. No, only you only need one person. Free. You, need two per, you need two people to fire this trigger letter. But, then but you, you can't have a conflict of interest it. voter voting, yeah, which you, is the teacher, right. so who's it, an employee so that has to be of amended. a mastermind who tells them, don't you dare support right. that guy. So that and then they went amended. after my daughter. Bah, 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 bah. That has Fifth to be, grade. Yeah. And she was able to defend herself, and she won every single argument against everybody who attacked her 30 years older than her. Because she was prepared because she's my daughter. She's very... That uh, young. Okay? She, but think about, think about how person. far your country set back, his country set back, because of term limits, because I can't get this law right. changed because so the, the there's term, now, and they've already been termed out. Because I worked on these people for four years. Everybody I've worked on that was ashamed of, of not knowing about the law, they now have been termed out. But that's what I'm saying. You don't have to make it for two or for four. I'm saying 10 or 12 or whatever it is. But not 40, not 30, not yeah. 25. But guess what? Nobody because that's a mafia. I can, that is I can go, I can go with the, I can go to your, to your statement saying... They're not the problem. The 30-year-old guy is not the problem. There's not enough of them in Congress. Count me, count right now. Do your homework and come back next Monday. Give me a list of how many people who have been elected for more than 30 years in the present U.S. Congress, and you're going to find them to be maybe 50 people in the House. In the Senate, They're maybe, all in the leadership. Uh, this is true. That's the problem. Okay. In the leadership. So they, they run things. Well, no. Nobody wants to take them out. Nobody, nobody. Well, people have tried. It's hard. Oh, oh. Incumbency is a very powerful factor. Yeah, because they decide they decide who's on committee right, and all that stuff. And but money, why don't you apply the virtues money. of Thomas More in that case? Right. Ah. Of the law why don't you apply no the Minutemen in that case? Ah. Ignorance of the law is no when excuse. Pelosi when Pelosi was up for speaker. Why didn't the Democratic Party make sure she was not speaker? Where are the Minutemen then? Because See how he had, applies the virtues when he wants it. She vir- controls a lot of the money, and people were not going to go against her. Okay, so there's no excuse for that. Right. Okay, it's the same theory. That is the, the mafia, what I'm, ta- okay, what I'm but there's no, talking about. There's no reason why. You guys are just using a theory on me. I'm using it back on you. you got to stand up to the mafia. Absolutely. I did. I stood up to the mafia. I stood up to the largest, fourth largest right, school so district in the country. Manny, the real issue then is how do we amend... The Florida Parent Empowerment Law. With term limits, guess what? I just worked on... You can't do it. I just worked on four people since 2013. I got to start all over again because of term limits. All over again. You didn't win with those four people, so maybe you'll be more successful with the new ones. Providing I don't have a heart attack, providing I'm still alive, that devastates your country. No, you have to make it public. You have to make the people aware and get on your side. Okay, think about that. Think we about, we think do not you... have that. You see what I'm saying? They do. The left does, but we don't. And that is our the uh, biggest problem. We... You know what the biggest problem is? Is what I said earlier. There is no excuse for not having people already on my side. Why? Because have you ever heard of anybody who did this and then builds a radio station to say so? Well, we're on your side, man. Oh, yeah. no! Ed, no, Ed throws you. the blanket on me. No, we the cold blanket is now on Ed Vidal, the concrete we, of the concrete concern. We support concern. you no. uh, in your proposal to amend the law. Uh, so we're hundreds of people, and everybody's under the table. 
make it public. Make a big deal out of it. You know how? Okay, one of the things that you can do is say, okay, tell me what you have done with the lottery money. And start from there and go against them and, and, and make a lot of noise and go everywhere to every show that they, because you will be invited to different shows. People have to be aware. No. People, people uh, could care less. Why? Because everybody I, says the same thing. You, you, you. I'm the last person who needs to do this. It's you, you, you. No, it's uh, we, we, we have to. It's The person it, who it, already went through this can't be the protagonist in this anymore simply because it's self-aggrandizement from this point on. Well, just, I the way I, just the way I tell the story is, no, no. But guess what? Nobody has picked up the baton. And no trigger letters have been filed since 2013 in Miami-Dade County. All right, here's our next guest. How about that, Mambles? But who, who's in? Uh, you have to Phil introduce. Phil Kirpin. Phil, what's up, Phil? Okay. Phil, this is the Concrete Conservative, WSQF 94.5. I hope you've been hearing my rants, and I hope you support me 100%. I'm handing you over to Ed Vidal. I'm getting a glass of water. Hi, Phil. Good to hear from you. Hey, how's it going? Okay. So I know you wanted to call in to talk about uh, a healthcare policy issue. So maybe you can tell our audience who you are, where you're based, and what, what your uh, position is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name is Phil Kirkman. I run in a group called American Commitment. We're a national free market advocacy group. We work really on uh, all of the fiscal, economic, and regulatory issues, so taxes, spending, healthcare, energy, technology, policy, regulatory process. And what we try to do is uh, get people the facts and the information about the big policy fights that are happening in Washington in an easy-to-use uh, form. So we don't do 20- and 30-page white papers, that kind of thing. We don't do original research. We try to get everything down to, you know, a couple of hundred words in an action alert email or five or six hundred words in a column or a one-minute video. The, the whole point is we want you to know what's happening and to be a more effective, engaged citizen. So we've got lots of letter-writing campaigns where we have pre-written letters, and you can edit them or send them off as is to Congress or to the White House or to administrative agencies. And uh, our whole thing is helping people understand what's happening and uh, be, be more active citizens. And what is your website? What is your website? It's on the website, AmericanCommitment.org. Okay. Okay. okay, and so what is the issue that you wanted to bring to the public today? Well, there are a few. Uh, the Democrats are moving forward with their uh, prescription drug bill this week, uh, Nancy Pelosi's bill, which basically has the government set the price of the uh, most popular 250 drugs in the country, and if the drug company does not like the price that the government sets, they get hit with a 95% of their previous year's total sales tax. So in other words, uh, the government will say, this is the new price. If you don't like it, we're going to tax 95% of last year's sales, not profits, total sales, uh, which essentially means uh, if you don't take the government's price, they're going to tax you into oblivion. They're okay, but that, that might get through the Democrat-controlled House, but surely the Republicans in the Senate will block it, right? Uh, I think that's right, although, you know, President Trump has kind of said, look, I don't care what you do it, get prices down. So he might support something. Oh, no, come on. He's very focused on doing anything 
to get prices down in the near term, even things uh, that I would strongly oppose, like using this kind of tactic. And so that, that's a dynamic that could potentially be challenging for some of the Senate Republicans. Uh, they do have a number of bills in the Senate, including particularly one by Chuck Grassley that's passed out of committee, uh, that would redesign the Medicare Part D program in a way that would, would lower prices for seniors. And uh, I think they'll probably counter with that. Uh, in the Senate. So we're likely to have a situation where there are totally different approaches, radically different approaches coming from the House and Senate. Uh, but we're probably going to have a president who basically says, you know, I, I don't care how you do it, just give me something to sign that lowers drug prices. And uh, that potentially could give Nancy Pelosi some leverage. So it, it's not as obvious as it might otherwise be uh, that it'll be totally dead on arrival. Now, I don't think it's going to have a 95% tax in it by the time it gets to the president's desk, if it does. Uh, but this idea that government might just set the prices and sort of, you know, just, just by, you know, legislative fiat, lower prices, um, you know, it's not totally off the table, which is pretty disturbing to me and I think to most people who think that we need to have some kind of a functioning market in order to incentivize, re incentivize research and development and the next generation of cures. Uh, it's sort of a political short-term quick fix and just say, well, government's going to step in and set the price because, you know, people save a, save a lot of money in the short term, but, you know, what do price controls always cause in the long term? They cause shortages. Well, I think people can see what uh, the effects of, say, rent control have been in New York City. Right. Exactly the same thing. And, of course, you know, when you cause shortages in the prescription drug context, it's a shortage of research and development. So it's a shortage of new cures. And the very dangerous thing about that from a political standpoint is, you know, people are going to see the lower prices and like that. They're not going to see the drugs that don't get developed, right. the cures that don't happen because of government intervention in the market. And so people will never quite know what they're missing out on. And uh, that's why once you start down that road, uh, you, you probably never get off it. And it seems to me that America is really a world leader in drug innovation because we have a relatively free market. Yeah, that's right. And, and the president uh, is absolutely correct that it's a pretty unfair situation that the way the rest of the world basically gets a free ride on us. Uh, you know, I don't have a problem with poor countries paying very little for drugs. They don't have much to pay, and you know, it would be wrong to just say, hey, you know, uh, poor countries, you get no drugs. So I understand poor countries having relatively low prices. That makes sense to me. But it's pretty ridiculous that the other rich countries pay a fraction of what we do. Right, the Europeans. In Canada, in Japan, in Europe, they're paying, you know, uh, typically about a quarter to a third of what we're paying uh, for drugs. And you might say, hey, we should copy them and just be like them and have government policies that basically set the prices. The problem is, um, you know, they, they pay a big price for lower prices uh, or they pay a big consequence for lower prices, which is to say uh, the best, newest breakthrough drugs are not available in most of these other countries until uh, often years after they're available in the United States because when these, these companies say, here, this is the price, take it or leave it, to the pharmaceutical manufacturers, a lot of the time for the newer drugs, they say, leave it, no thanks. It's right. not worth it for us uh, to, to undercut our pricing by saying yes to that. And so the availability of new cures is actually much worse in these other countries. That said, uh, you know, they do eventually get most of these drugs and they pay a fraction of what we pay. And, you know, how does that happen? Well, from the drug company perspective, they... They know they can get their, you know, the two and a half billion it costs to bring a new drug to market. They can get that in a return on capital in the United States. They'll take a little additional profit if they can sell above their marginal cost. Uh, you know, it's gravy for them to sell into these other countries. So they usually eventually say yes, even though those, those prices are lower than, than what the real market is. All right. So, is. Phil, let, let me ask you about a related issue then. What do you think about the uh, state of Florida importing drugs from Canada? 
like it, and I'll tell you why. Um, I think that, uh, and Milton Friedman actually had an incredible uh, interview on this maybe 15 years ago that I recently dug up, and, and all the quotes from it are on our website at AmericanCommitment.org, but basically um, it, it undermines the value of the patent of the innovator drug company. Uh, the essence of what a patent is is a time-limited right to exclude competition, and the, for, for good or bad, the system we have for developing drugs right now, and as I said, it costs $2.5 billion on average to bring a new drug to market. A lot of it's the FDA compliance costs and so forth. A lot of it's just what the cost of all the dead ends that you go through before you find one that works. The system we have is we say, if you go through all that, you bring a new drug to market, you're going to have a patent, you're going to have the exclusive right to sell it at prices that you can basically set, and people can't directly compete with you until that patent expires, and that's how you make your money back. If we say, hey, you're now going to compete with your own product uh, at the price that you're selling it abroad, coming back and undercutting your pricing power in the United States. Uh, if that actually scales up, if large amounts of your drug come back in at lower prices, that totally undercuts the value of your patent. So as a theoretical matter, I'm against it. As a practical matter, um, I just don't think it'll accomplish anything. I think it is a, uh, I, I think it'll have almost no effect at all because as soon as it picks up any significant amount of volume, the drug companies, they're not dumb. They're going to stop selling into Canada or severely restrict uh, the supplies that they sell into Canada because they're not going to say, hey, they're not going to sell a whole bunch of drugs cheap into Canada knowing it's going to come right back into the United States. So they're going to basically say, look, we're going to strictly limit the supply we sell into Canada to just what's being used there. Or maybe even some of them will say, we're not going to sell into Canada at all. What about I think the, well, what you're likely to get from a program like that is counterfeits. What about drugs from China and India? Yeah, because look, the, the legitimate drug company is drug companies are not stupid enough to undercut their own U.S. pricing by selling large volumes, shipping large volumes into Canada that are going to be turned around and shipped back here. So I just think, as a practical matter, uh, if there's a whole bunch of extra supply in Canada that's coming back into the U.S., it's not going to be the real stuff. And, right. You know, at best, you're enriching Chinese who ri or Indians or whoever who ripped off the intellectual property of Americans that spent billions of dollars developing it. But uh, at worst, you're going to be getting something that's not what it's labeled and could kill you. And so I'm uh, very skeptical of the reimportation thing for the reason that I think it violates patent rights, number one. But number two, uh, I just don't see it having much of an effect because I don't think the drug companies are going to sell you know, large volumes uh, that are going to come back and undercut their own pricing. So this is an example where government regulations cause a harm that people don't see because the new drugs and the new treatments are not introduced. Right. Well, and of course, you know, a lot of this is being driven in the first place by the enormous cost of getting new drugs to market, the whole FDA approval process, right. which is insane. You know, it should not cost $2.5 billion on average to bring a new drug to market. As long as that's what it costs, we're going to have to have some mechanism to pay for it. And right now the system we have is, you know, you've got... You know, you've got a patent, you've got data exclusivity. Basically, you're allowed to charge very high prices in the U.S. for a period of time before generic competition comes in. Well, I, I mean, yeah, like that, I, nobody right. likes that, but you got to fund the $2 billion to get to, to the That's market. The well, you got to find a way to bring that cost down. Yeah. You know, you, it's one way or the other. Uh, worst thing about the FDA is that they haven't been able to guarantee us all the drugs that have to be recalled. So what so was... Another thing that's crazy, so they spend $2.5 <laughs> And you still have to recall them anyway. And then you still have giant lawsuits because things go wrong and all this kind of thing. It doesn't offer any actual protection. 
against bad outcomes. It just takes forever and costs. It reminds me of the credit bureaus. The three credit bureaus haven't been able to safeguard banks from getting ripped off by credit card users, and yet we, we live by a credit score that should not even be law. There's mm-hmm. just no reason. It should be your behavior based on how much you pay and how you pay your debt down, and it should not be a quantitative to a score. The score is a mathematical racket, just like the FDA is. You yeah. know, that's interesting, uh, Phil, because when you look at the pharmaceutical industry in America, the big pharmaceutical companies don't develop drugs. They're basically regulatory and marketing companies. They deal with the regulators, and then they sell the drug. They go to all these independent, often startup uh, biochemical. You're exactly right. You're right. This is why it's been so hard to reform the FDA process because the big pharmaceutical companies love it. They yep. don't want to reform it. They want it to take forever. And yeah, because they, they know that the little that peewee way, scientist can't get his drug on the market it. unless he sells Everyone it to him. Else, uh, has to sell to them to get something approved. That's a lot like uh, big tech in Silicon Valley, where a lot of the new startups, instead of thinking of doing IPOs and be going independent and taking on the big tech, mm-hmm. instead their strategy is to sell to big tech. Mm-hmm. And guess who came up with the FDA? John D. Franklin FDA. Roosevelt. No, John D. Rockefeller. IPOs. Two have, brothers. Uh, IPOs have been uh, essentially largely on ice, except for the very largest companies ever since right. Sarbanes-Oxley passed, because the compliance costs of being a public company are so high now. Yeah, it we, makes more sense to aim for an acquisition. Yeah, we have half as many public. A regulatory problem too. Right. We have half as many publicly listed companies today as we had 20 years ago. And so uh, the the access to capital has become a barrier to entry, which has allowed many industries, especially the tech industry, to become more concentrated. That's the... Okay, I don't remember that. Yep. Yeah, four four stores and a bunch of well, empty boxes Microsoft, on their second tier. Microsoft of their pounds. went pretty early. But now it's uh, it's almost unheard of, uh, you know. And even that's uh, I've actually been pretty disappointed that we've seen so little on the uh, on the reform front there. Because I I actually, as I said, I think that it's the Sarbanes-Oxley 404, uh, you know, audit attestation requirements that essentially is you know the cost of being public prohibitive for all but the largest companies. Now, you think it was the big corporate attorneys that pushed Sarbanes-Oxley? Sure. Well, I mean, you basically every every public company now needs to have two of the big four because you got to have your you got to have your accounting firm and then you have to have the one that you use for your 404 attestation. So, I mean, it's pretty good for them if every company yeah. has to hire two of the four. Okay, it's, explain to the audience the 404 attestation. Well, they they've interpreted it to mean you have to have basically a, a full second external audit of your internal controls. Uh, I don't think that's what the statute actually says, but it's uh, it basically it forces you to have uh, you you basically need to have two you you have to have redundant audits of. of uh, and and the, the the parties can't know each other or interact in any way. Well, or you form. have to use one of the big four accounting firms, basically. Oh, what another racket! To, to do a second. A review of all your accounts. <laughs> That's another racket. You, you know, it's not. It's not. It really it, is out of control. You know, Phil, there's a lot of it's uh, there's a lot of complaint about how big tech is, uh, uh, in effect, censoring uh, conservative speech. And one of the solutions usually is let's start a conservative tech company. But that's become very hard in part because of all the regulations on financing. Well, I mean, it's not just the it's not just the regulatory barriers. The bigger the biggest problem with the kind of taking on these tech platforms is they have such massive uh, 
economies of scale right. and such massive network power. You know, I mean, how do you how do you compete with a Facebook or a Google when they've got all the data on everyone in the world and uh, the data has much more value when you have all of it than when you only have a little bit of it? And uh, that that's kind of well, one of you- those big challenges. And you know, I, I think the um, yeah, I think the the approach that we're seeing, you know, from some of the stuff like what uh, Brent Bozell is doing and some of the other uh, James O'Keefe, that kind of, I think that work is the most effective way to kind of improve the behavior of these companies because I just don't see any large competitor arising to them, and I think it's very hard to devise policy solutions to this problem. I think we just have to shame them and expose them and embarrass them into behaving better. And you you don't think if they were broken up into their component parts, Google, for example? What about breaking them up into their component parts, like was done, say, with AT and T or with Standard Ooh, Oil? Ooh, that's a naughty word. Well, let's. Yeah, I'm, I'm, skepti- I'm skeptical that that, okay. uh, that that would actually be beneficial for consumers. So you think that shaming them, like uh, James O'Keefe and Project Veritas? I think they, I think it has a pretty big effect. I mean, frankly, I think Google and Facebook are now trying pretty hard. Uh, to improve their behavior. They, uh, that's not true. Twitter is not. They don't care. That's not true. They're censoring me like it's going out of style. I can't use my well, Facebook Live. My Instagram uh, blink radio doesn't show up on my Instagram you, location you've search. Been, you've been loomered. I've been loomered. And I'm just a little peewee with a lo- low-power radio station. My God. But just because I call myself the concrete conservative, they're after me. I called Hillary White Trash once, and boom, I got my first violation. I said that... Uh, I didn't call her White Trash a second time, but I said... They'd feel very comfortable in a dumpster, and they came after me the third, well, the you third, say Hillary second time. Not only crooked, but also crazy. Yeah, they would be both just fine in a dumpster, and they got me after that one. And then I said something on never, never, never post on a Fox News live feed. Mm-hmm. You know, where thousands of people. That's where they're just sitting there with the logarithms, just waiting. You must have some liberals who follow you around, flagging everything. Oh, they've got to be, man. They've shut me down. Soon, soon, on oh, my Twitter, my God, nobody sees my tweets. I can't believe I have, I don't know, over 100 tweets. You've been and shadow banned? Completely. I think I have like two followers and like 150 tweets. I mean, I can't be that bad, can I? Yeah. You know, it's they're shadow banning me. They just oh, yeah. shut me down. One person liked a tweet that I thought was really provocative, and, uh, and, I, and she has a lot of followers. I thought for sure I'd get some traction just because she liked my tweet. Nothing happened. So I know I'm being blocked. And uh, it's uh, and I'm I mean I'm just you know I just not that much of a uh, an action Jackson I'm not the GI Joe in this there's a lot of bigger tigers in the ring and uh, for some reason they they got me quick I mean it's terrible I mean I was really I was suspended during the Obama elections that I was really fervent from the get go so I I guess I had a history of you know I really didn't want Barack Obama to be elected so president. Big tech. So they already, I had a record back then from the early days of Facebook. So mm-hmm. I know that I had a history because I was suspended uh, about three different times, 14 days each. But now it's flat out. You can't use Facebook Live, period, ever. Wow. Goodbye. And therefore, there's no Facebook Live in here because I can't use it. Is now, there a reason for that? Yeah, I violated community standards on multiple occasions. That's exactly what the screenshot, I have a screenshot of it. And I posted it and said, guys, sorry, if you guys don't come to my wall and spread the stuff that I know you like, you'll never read it. You got to go. You actually have to come to my wall and spread it on your own because I'm not, I don't come up on people's uh, news feed, period. And when I do, when you do get me on my news feed, it's the same five people. <laughs> wow. 
You know, so, I mean, I have a thousand followers. Um, I'm a completely open source wall. You don't have to be approved by me. Anybody can comment at any time. I encourage every liberal in America to comment on uh, Manuel Acambo or Blink Radio's walls. Go ahead. I mean, I need you. I need you to come and insult me, ridicule me, whatever you want. You're free to go at it. And uh, just uh, Facebook's got me blocked. So no problem. It's a badge of courage at this point. So what do you? What is your group uh, focus on? What uh, regulatory areas other than healthcare? You've you've been pretty active on that. Uh, I would say I would say uh, we've done a lot on tax. Um, we're trying to get the, the capital gains tax index for inflation. And the president is that something he's he... doing that? But he said uh, he said not now was his. Uh, Conclusion a couple months ago. We'll see if he revisits that. Now he can do it by executive order, right? Correct. And uh, we've got very strong legal opinion. And the president said he knows he has the power to do it by executive order. So I'm hoping that uh, when he realizes he's not going to be able to get anything else positive done in the economy, as long as Nancy Pelosi's in there as speaker, he will circle back around to that. And uh, yeah, it sounds like he can't even. Not now when he said he wasn't going to do it. It sounds like he's not even going to be able to get the USMCA treaty through. The question is uh, whether they can cut a deal with Pelosi. I mean, it's very weird how they're negotiating. The only way to cut a deal with Pelosi is to crush her in 2020. No, it's, uh, how do you agree on a trade deal at the same time you're impeaching a guy? Yeah. Supposedly the negotiations are still moving, and I don't know. Well, the uh, trade unions, the the, uh, AFL-CIO has come out against USMCA. Really? I'm so surprised. No, it's not. Huh? Oh, uh, it's and there are a lot of union jobs that will, that will come back under this agreement. And so, and I, 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 there, there's a, there are a lot of Democrats who want it to pass. Well, we have a guest here in the in the studio. And Maria Magdalena is going to she, tell us. She agrees she with you that it's bad. No, he doesn't agree. Well, actually, it's uh, it's worse than NAFTA. So because of, because of the oh, union. Oh my gosh! Because worse than give us NAFTA, specifics. It's it's everything. It's uh, it has uh, a portion there that it's. Uh, I think uh, they have been, uh, Obama and prior to Obama, they tried to pass the uh, Lost Sea Treaty. It's it's called Love Lost yeah. Love the Sea Love the Sea Love the Sea Treaty. It's in it's inside oh, the treaty. Oh, it is in there. Okay, what does it imply? Because I don't know. Well, it's uh, the uh, the coastal waters would belong to the, guess who? The federal government. UN. Oh, UN. Oh my God. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, UN, and and it has more stuff inside. To, so it's really we, really bad. We need really to get, really bad. We need to get a guest to call in on USMCA. Yeah. Uh, Chris Ann Hall has come out against it, so maybe we'll get her to call in. Yeah. You know, you've got something. You got a little twist. You know, with Chris Ann Hall. No. You just, you know, Bill. Where do you guys stand on USMCA? Um, we're for it. I think that it's a significant improvement on NAFTA in, in most. Respects. But what about this UN waters? <laughs> this is that's, that's serious. The first I'm hearing of that, so I need to look into that. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't give the United Nations not even a, a new flag. They, they're running out of money at the end of this month. I hope. Well, we need to build I mean, them. I know. Well, we're you know we pay like half their budget, so if we uh, if we stall out, they they. Uh, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be cool to build them like a new a new place for them to hang out like in Baghdad or something like a new UN? Just you know? let them go. Yeah, I know. You know, I mean, evict them. You guys remember a few years ago when uh, all the UN all the UN guys in New York were like refusing to pay their parking tickets, and Giuliani was like, 
if you don't start paying your tickets, we're going to evict you and yes. put up uh, higher, put high-rise condos up where the UN is. Well, yep. Trump said that when he walked in the other day. He goes, good. This is, I, have, I own a building right across. Yeah, this would be a good place. Hilarious. I mean, they, uh, <laughs> they, they used to, like, for years, they would just, you know, they got tickets. They would just, like, throw them in the garbage. We're the U.N. We don't have to pay. Uh, and then Giuliani was like, okay, if you don't pay, we're going to evict you. They started paying their tickets. <laughs> It would be nice to evict them. I don't see. I mean, it's an association but, of socialists yeah, anyway. Yeah, you. But USMCA is an interesting topic because, uh, you know, I didn't realize there were some of these objections. But generally, it's a good thing, I think. But I, I my guess is that the Democrats are not going to pass it before the uh, Trump gets reelected. So, it's at yeah, an the impasse. Question is, does the president keep trying to work a deal with Nancy Pelosi, or at some point? No, nah, beat him. Uh, they're beyond that. At some point, does he send it up and force the vote? And just yeah, didn't, didn't you see Pelosi pointing her finger? Well, what's good? What's cool about this impasse? Under the fast track law, when he sends up the notice, they have to vote within forty-five days, and so he can force the vote whenever he thinks there are enough votes in favor of it. Okay. Um, but it seems like I could be misreading this, but I think it's the case. Uh, they don't think there's any way they can get enough votes to pass it without getting a deal with Pelosi. They don't think they can just pick off individual members. That's why they're working so hard. Uh, to try to negotiate a deal with her. Does that, are you implying that the Republicans are not together on this? Or no, the Republicans just, are. Pretty much all the Republicans, but the Democrats have a pretty big majority in the House right now. Yeah, it's the saddest thing. Well, all because Republicans didn't run for re-election. Absolutely, they dropped the ball. 46. 46 Many idiots Many of them. And because ran. of the power of incumbency. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was, yeah, the that was part of it. The that cowardice, was part of it. It was a cowardice of, the, was, well, of getting too. your pay. That too. Yeah, it's, but I think USMCA is worth uh, some more looking at. It, undermi- it, actually un- <laughs> it actually undermines your argument because here we were with term limits, yet all these people didn't seek incumbency because they get it. These they were months. chicken. All it's the, called all pension. Republican they got their pension and ran. Did not want to stand up uh, for the fight. Okay, we're going to ask our guest caller, are you for or against term limits? self-limiting thing we we have too often we have our guys give our some of our best guys leave after a couple of terms and the other team builds up more seniority and more power so i I like it if it applies to everyone i don't like it if we're just imposing it on ourselves okay that's uh that i'm a a little bit vague on on the on the explanation would you uh would you consider an attendance record um, milestone or threshold in order to run for re-election instead of term limits? In other words, you have to complete 90% of the congressional you days. You have to be a legislator instead of going out raising money all the time. Right, you have to be sitting there for 90% of your term in order to qualify for re-election. Wouldn't that be better than term limits? And then they would just turn themselves out. Well, I had a, yeah, had a nice discord. Before you call, I had a little spat with my guests here. Because we're involved in the Convention of States movement, and I've you know attended a couple simulations so I can actually see where this is going, and then I hear the you know and read and hear and read, and I see us falling into uh, a norm like follow your nose kind of norm cattle to slaughter kind of talk, and also I'm hearing instead of the obvious get rid of 16 and 17, which is obviously what the Convention of States should be doing. And we're talking balanced budget amendment and term limits, blah, 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 blah. And the states that have term limits have failed. It just created amateurism 
in state capitals everywhere there's term limits. In fact, in the worst case scenario, California became, what is it again? Jumbo, Gonzo. No, it's a one-party state, but that's because no, of all the illegal immigrants, I would say. You're you're full of it. It's a because of their, what's it called, primaries? Uh, jungle. Jungle, primary. jungle primaries. That's a result of term limits. Thank, thank good for you. Unfor- unfortunately, when the party's in majority and you have term limits, you can stack. You can stack your party with newbies over and over and over again who know nothing. And guess what? They mm-hmm. own you because you have no experience as a politician. You need them to get elected. And that's exactly what's happened. Okay, well, that was enough with that. And uh, we've got, uh, you know, Marco Rubio calling now. He's uh, calling via the Fox News television <laughs> set. He's talking to us here in the studio. So I, I thank you for your call, and uh, hopefully... Thank you, Phil. Let's keep in touch. All right, guys. Have a good one. I thank appreciate you. it. Bye-bye. So uh, I guess, yep, you know, when, of- when everybody's thinking alike, nobody's thinking. And you guys are guilty. Yep, absolutely. I'm not going to be at fault. Uh, unfortunately, my daughter has to blare... The, the brunt of the stupidity of the majority. From high school next year? Yeah. She's going to be really aghast when she realizes that our generation screwed her generation and we're doing nothing about it. I can honestly say I've done something really monumental about it and nobody's listening, so it's your fault. You cannot reform the public school system and you cannot have a better country unless you do that. Yes. Um, and it takes like 20 years. Once you do it, it takes 20 years to even see the affect of it. And you all are taking too long because I did this in 2013, and more people should know. So what's about happened it. since 2013? Why has people nobody... like you have you guys have to talk about me in your sleep, and I can't talk about myself in my sleep because I sound like an egomaniac. No, no, no. You have to do it. You have to involve the people. That that is a pro- the, the key is to involve the people. Well, I'm saying I'm not arguing that yeah. it can't be me involving the people. Why? It's got to be you saying. There's a man I just met on Blink Radio the other night. He's a remarkable story. He's built a radio station. He put his kid up for abuse in affluent Key Biscayne, born, practically born here. I came here in the fifth grade. Took on everybody all at once, and you just have to hype me up. I hyped him up to get him elected. Nobody Marco believed Rubio. in that guy. December the 9th, 2009, I made him look like Moses to get him elected. And in 2010, he got elected. But he was up against a sitting governor. But I talked about him as if he was Moses because I talked him up. Otherwise, if he talked himself up, he would look like an egomaniac. So, so how is he Moses? Huh? How is he? How is Marco Rubio Moses then? I now, I'm now with Abraham. I can't answer that question. His oh, name okay. is Ted Cruz. Oh, okay. But I had to turn my back on him after he was a senator. I have a problem with Ted Cruz, and I have a problem with Marco Rubio. Oh, you have a problem with Ted Cruz? What's uh, your problem I, with Ted? I, and again, um, I, I guess that's they forgot why they their Cubanness. So no. radical. <laughs> okay, what's the problem? Go ahead, speak well, your mind. No, no, no. That's, Let that's me tell you, I was pro. Ted Cruz, all the way, mm-hmm. and and I was getting involved in his campaign and everything, until he signed the T, the uh, not the TPP, the TPA. So if you tell me that you don't uh, believe in Obama and Obama is awful, which he was, why are you signing a TPA? What is the TPA and what, TPA. What about it did you like? It's it's. Um, uh, the TPP, the, that that would give Obama the right to override Congress. Not override. The TPP did not have to go through Congress. It would be like be a kind of lunch. What Here does the TPP is. stand for? Trans-Pacific Partnership? C. TPA. No, TPA. He signed the TPA, which, which was a, a fast track. 
a fast track means you don't have to go, whatever that whatever it is uh, it's a treaty or whatever it is doesn't have to go through congress okay, so well, i'm giving is, you what? i'm giving you my my vote of uh, confidence okay uh, you can do whatever you want you i you don't need my my vote here how, how far was obama in his term Uh, Could have been that he he no no he no that, that, Obama was, into, that was right he was running already. Um, also, it was early in his term. Uh, see, 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 so he's see. really guilty. Ted Cruz is. No, Ted, Ted Cruz no. was elected in 2012, Obama in 08. Yeah, but for her to vote, that means he was in his second term already. No, no, he 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 voted like when he almost started running. Oh, Ted, and uh, running Ted, for himself. Ted, Ted, Ted oh, himself. Oh, so before running so, for president. Right, okay. running for president. So well, I said, well, you know, that's it. I mean... <laughs> so Michael who did Blake? you support for president in 16? Uh, uh, Senor Donald Trump. Oh, okay, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I was Ted Cruz all the way to the end until we lost. Yeah, no. And I opened up his office here in Miami, and I spent a lot of time with him. I dropped him. And I'm a, and I'm a Texan. As you know. Oh, and that's how I met. Okay, no. That's how I, uh, I didn't meet Ed Vidal. Uh, I think you Ed, you were always a Trumpster, weren't you? You weren't? No, I was a cruiser in Texas. Oh, but in I, Texas. In Texas. No. I didn't meet you, cruiser. I met right, you as a convention. We met here at the convention of states meeting yes. in 2017. Mm. Yeah. No, I was, uh, I, was, uh, I was involved with Ted uh, simply because he, I don't know, he befriended me in, um, in 2011 because I was his only max donor. <laughs> In Dade County, when he was run, when he ran in, in in Texas for the Senate, right? And I I asked him why this private meeting. He was uh, speaking at the Lincoln Day dinner, and I I entered the room with him that day that that night. And Marco was supposed to speak and gave it up to him as kind of like a well, they thing. were trying to help him get elected, get attention in Texas. Remember when uh, the first poll was taken? He was running against the establishment Republican Rhino Lieutenant Governor, yes. who was also a very wealthy guy. Very great name recognition. He had donated to he every... He was uh, Perry's Lieutenant Governor. Yeah, and he was a good guy, and he was no, he had donated to every Republican women's club in Texas. So they were all beholden to him. So the first poll came out, and they had a margin of error of like three, plus or minus, and Ted was polling at two. So he needed to get his name recognition up. So you're saying that he got a, he he did these things. Well, Marco helped him to get some more name recognition. Uh, National Review. But he ran. was already Solicitor General. Yeah, but that's not Solicitor General is not. Hey, man, it takes on Supreme Court cases. I know, but no, nobody knows who you are. So uh, my son was the one who told us about it because he was in the summer of '11. He was uh, a Koch brothers intern at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. So he got to know about the local politics. And he's the one who introduced us. And when my wife and I moved to Houston in April of 2012, we immediately joined his campaign. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was uh, it was a situation where uh, obviously uh, what gravitated to both the both Ted and Marco was the obvious uh, the the dream of the American Cuban uh, making it. Uh, I don't care if you're Cuban or whatever you whatever. are. Yeah, we know I, I am, I, I, and that's why I am really, really radical. You either you're conservative or you're not, and yeah. I don't care where you're coming from, and I don't care what you look like, and I don't care if you came from Mars and just landed. Yeah, but here. you voted for someone who's not very conservative. Well, what Trump? was it? Are you kidding? So, so let me Trump ask you. So, so let me ask you. What what, what was my uh, <laughs> your choice? What was my choice? In our uh, case, in our case, we I've never voted for a Democrat, so I wouldn't know. I mean, I see a yeah. D. A, a, I mean, D means, was, a D means dummy, no, and I'll vote the other way. 
Trump has been very conservative. Lower he's, taxes. I must say, he's governed like he's governed law-abiding judges. like a Tea Party. Yeah. So there you go. But he's not conservative. No. We he don't signed care the largest as long as he does it. No, because he just signed the largest budget in the history of well, mankind. I, That's yeah. not cool. Not cool. In exchange for military buildup. Yep. But he gave Schumer up. and Pelosi everything they wanted. And he said, Don't make me do this again. Well guess what? He's about to do it again. We'll see. You know what he should do? He he should declassify the uh PSD eleven. If he does that what I is mean, for, it's the uh, presidential directive number 11, and it has to do with this Muslim Brotherhood. You mean Obama did that? Obama did that. And yeah, the, care. The, directive, care people. the directive was to protect the Muslim Brotherhood in. Uh, in the Muslim, in, in the in Michigan, the, uh, no, 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 Muslim countries, Muslim oh. countries, Muslim countries. Oh, that's so how that's it's, how it's Egyptians a huge, got elected. Huge, huge. So, I mean, if he does that, forget about the impeachment. Forget about that. He needs the FBI well, to investigate. He doesn't yeah. need the CIA to investigate. He doesn't need anybody well, to he, investigate. He the only be, thing that he has to do is declassify that. Okay, but what I think we might That's be a good doing point. is he might be holding back several things, and that might be one of them in case impeachment comes at him. The other point—it's obvious he wants to is, be impeached. The other point is Phil Kirpin pointed out. Trump, he wants them to call the vote. Trump, by executive order, can index. The tax gains, taxes on capital gains. And if he does that, that will set up a bunch of deals, transactions, investments that will take place starting from whenever he does it at the end of this year through next year. So what better way to run for re-election than to have the whole country making new investments to yeah, take but be, advantage? Be very specific so the audience knows, because I like okay. to learn myself. This is executive. This would be an executive order. But don't order. touch the microphone. What it does, okay, so what it, what it would do is it would index all your tax gain, all your capital gains, uh, by according to inflation, so that you would it would go back and you would pay. You know, a lot of times you pay extra taxes because your asset has increased in value only because of inflation. So you take the inflation factor out of the increase in the value of assets when they're taxed. And if you do that, you're going to be seeing a lot of people recognizing their gains because they will have lower taxes and making new investments. So, it so will in other set words, off, the total tax minus the CPI increase. Right. Cause t- yeah, right. So when you look at you tax a gain, say you bought it at 20 and now it's at 80, but, you know, maybe 20 of that increase was uh, was it was tax, it was inflation. So instead of having an increase but not of in 60, a stock price. In, in a any, stock- any, any asset. So if you bought it at 20, it's now 80, but 20%, 20 of that is due to inflation, then you would only be taxed for 40 instead okay. of 60. Now, who can, be a big I, who can honestly prove that 20 was inflation? Is there... you, you go back to when you bought it, and you go to the Federal Reserve or the Bureau of Labor, whoever publishes the inflation figures, and you subtract it from that. So okay, but all, just because it's, it's a doable. figure, not because it's actually attached to the value of the no, stock. No, no, you can you can deflate the value. So you say, yeah, I bought this in 1980. Uh, it was uh, $10. Today it's $100. So that's a $90 gain. However, since 1980, inflation has been $45. So your real gain, your real gain is only $45. In terms of value of dollars. Right, right, in real dollars. In real so dollars. if he does that... That would set off a whole bunch of invest, new investment. People would cash in on investments that they have in place, and they would cash in and have new, new money for new investments 
it would have, I can tell you as a, as a transaction lawyer, there would be deals being done between whenever he did it and the end of next year. And there's I'm no better way to run. If it denies the government money, I'm all for it. And it also it respects that the government is devaluing the value of your dollars. Always. The moment they, so the moment they created so the Federal Reserve. You know, that's, so my point is that he might be holding that and other things like what you said uh, in case impeachment gets hot. He'll strike back with that. U.S.-Mexico uh, free trade agreement, we'll have to see how that goes. That could be another one. But right now, I don't think Pelosi gonna, is going to let him have any victory. they got to call a vote, force her hand. She'll come out as being negative, being— uh, you know, No, she'll lose that by about 80 or 90 votes. No, minutes. well, I don't think Democrats are going to take her on. And the the ones that are willing to take they, I around think they will because are more they got, socialist. They got they got elected in Trump areas. Yeah, but you know the the ones that are taking her on are the ones that are further left. If they were if if that was if it was that popular, right? If impeachment was so popular, it's not. It's not impo- It's not popular. It's, they're just Democrats trying to muddy are running the water. scared. They don't care. Yeah, they don't care if they, don't know, care. they just want to muddy the water. No, no, no. No, they, they, three people want to muddy the water. No, no, no. They don't, they don't shifty, care. Shifty, shifty. Yeah, the whole Democrat. That's their strategy. Yeah, and uh, Pelosi and um, and Schumer. Mudding the water is not their even only Dick Terman's all for that. None of those other higher ups, you know, the the mob you guys call. They them, don't count. I don't they, think. they're not. Well, they're for it. They know it's a mess. They just want revenge, <laughs> the Clinton revenge, because man, we impeaching Clinton over a BJ was pretty tacky. That was tacky. He was he perjured himself Not in only, front of a federal judge. Yes. He lost all, his license in come Arkansas. Come on, they just guaranteed well, a second term. I agree that was they so tacky. No, Not was only already, that, but it cost a great was, legislator was, no, his it, career. It Gingrich. was already. It was already. Uh, he had already been reelected. Once we failed at getting him in white right. water, we had to walk away, and we didn't. We went that extra mile. They did the same thing now. They walked. They should have walked away from uh, the Mueller report and never did this part. We're doing the same thing over again, expecting a different result. Well, the Democrats are now going to realize the ass whooping they're going to get in 2020. And the only thing that that might save them is what this gentleman said earlier about, you know, the Democrats trying to uh, destroy the the United States and the Republicans are trying to destroy themselves. We might have done that recently with full bans on abortion in southern states, because that's the only thing women will vote, vote us out of office for if you scare them with that. And we should have shut up until, might have done the ban if you want, but after 2020. And we mouthed off. And guess what? The governor of New York baited us into doing it by going full abortion to 12 months. 12 full months to infanticide. Nine months. Right. Full infanticide. Full infanticide. And what do we do? Indiana, Alabama, Utah, how many others went for well, full bans? I'm not sure that will have that effect. Because the agnostic political person will vote against you if you think for a second. There's a lot of women who lot. We like to sleep with a certain amount of man, but don't want to raise their children. It's just that simple. There's a lot of hot so men out there, but you don't kill, want their kids. You they only want, want to the... kill their children before they're born. Unfortunately, I'm a Catholic. I have a tough time uh, saying anything. You're I You're Catholic? What do you think of this Amazon Synod? Uh... Uh... <laughs> Post-Christian uh, period in the Catholic Church. Uh... That's what you get for having a peronista pope. Yeah. It's uh, very... Uh, very sad. The only thing that us Catholics have that we have feather in our cap, no one will ever feed the poor more than we do. So we just sit back on that because we can't sit back on the other stuff. It's just harsh reality. But at the same time, the mainstream media goes after Roman Catholics a lot more. If you don't think there's pedophiles in the Protestant church, I got a news for you. That's right. Oh, yeah. And that is the truth. And that's never coming out in the news, period. That's something you hear achievement in neighborhoods. 
that pastor, that pastor, with a wife and everything. It's it's also uh, young girls too. That's young girls and also infidelity, which is pastor and his wife, and then there's going, there's getting shaken, boogie boogie. But uh, but you know, my frustration comes from the fact that we don't fight back. They are militant. The left is militant. That's for sure. And we are not. We're not. They have one one mind, one goal, one heart. It's one. Okay. Now, we, we are not united. We don't have a plan. We don't uh, strike back on that. We let okay, them take understand. the megaphone and the narrative. Well, you are correct. And you know why? Because we have a life. We have a God. For, for the left, Caesar, Caesar is okay. their God. We're going to have a, uh, she's right, we're going to have a food line. So we have to respond. I agree, we have to respond. You are correct, but I'm telling you why. For the left, Caesar is their religion, worshiping the state, worshiping Baal, the Canaanite god of, that was worshipped with uh, a child sacrifice, worshiping Gaia. Mother Nature. That's that's their religion. Okay. And so they, they give all of it's it. It's funny. To it. It's their religion, but why isn't the police officer a priest? <laughs> that's, well, no, the police officer is not because they're usually conservative and enforcing a law that the left doesn't want enforced, like in immigration and just, uh, you, know, gun, you know, gun crime. If you look at, like, a place like Chicago, all these crimes are committed by, unfortunately, fatherless children in the inner city. And all the gun crime, people that are convicted or accused of gun crimes are dealt with very leniently because the Democrat Democrat machine doesn't want, those are their voters. Yeah. The people that are committing gun crimes. So put them back on the streets so they can vote. Absolutely. And you can see there's lots of aldermen and other politicians that are dealing with the gang leaders to get their votes. What I'm telling you now is if we don't do something fast... And I mean really fast. Uh, I'm very radical. We have months of freedom. And you have no idea. This is not, they have not, it's not. So, in other words, if we don't win in 2020, we're doomed. No, no, no. It's not Trump. It's the problem that the, the globalists thought that they were going to have Hillary. And then they would have the, what I'm fighting in Cora Gables. Agenda 21, United oh, Nations. I mean, it's, yeah, it's uh, the whole... Yeah, give us more details. You've well, got 10 minutes. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Okay, it's uh, Agenda 21. It's, it just came out, came about uh, in 1992 uh, when they, the United Nations asked the, so, uh, many nations to go to Brazil, and then they came out with this um, sustainable development concept. And they were going to uh, implement those uh, agendas throughout the whole world. So how do, because they wanted total control. And the, um, their well, issue how does was. That, how does that percolate down into the okay, into core I'll, games? I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, because it's all over. It's, it's here in Kibiskane. It's all over Florida. It's all over the United States. And people do not know about you know, it. All the urban planners and local the, politicians. Uh, yeah. local in other politicians. words, changing, t- changing the streetscapes. Uh, Everything. Uh, look at Cora Gables. Cora Gables is uh, building after building. On, on, this, this station can be heard right up to 42nd Avenue. Well, I'll tell you one okay. thing. Um, hi, uh, Dixie Highway along Coral Gables is getting more congested. They're building yeah, well, no, high now you're just No, talking, they're doing it. That's you're part say, of you're it. saying because of the density permitting? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's everything. The United Nations, Agenda 21, they want to control all land 
all water, all uh, education, that's uh, UNESCO, that's why you have Common Core, uh, then everything. It's how you live your life. They don't want any cars. You, you see what right. Ocasio... No, yeah, no, no, but yeah. that's it. I mean, that is the purpose. Yeah, so, uh, you, yeah you're, you're, okay, you're saying so that that's... Okay, so they don't want you to be in the car. That's why they lower the... Uh, the maximum that, that you can be on the streets now we are and on Alhambra I think that we can be now on 20 uh, miles yeah. per hour and then it's bicycles yeah you're supposed to go to bicycles you have so in the, in the gables right now in the gables right now they lowered the speed limits in the city streets to 20 miles an hour well that's not, a, not that unusual not 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 in every hell every, they put speed bumps on every street here and, <laughs> and they did that too yeah. so it's getting you out of the car getting uh to be like so frustrated that you just right you Look, know because of florida's use, humidity everybody's yeah. gonna stay in their car no you matter what stay in your car. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we waste a lot of saliva on that just can't fuck it can't happen because no, people it, will will, happen. it is happening it is happening people will break the law no. to stay in their car on the dixie highway they're getting more congestion no. so people will get on the metro rail instead of driving oh yeah and the metro that, that runs on tires Please. the way that the way they do it it's you have equally ICLI comes from united nations ICLI, it's uh, a foreign uh uh, organization. So they go to every county, every city, and then they help the for the zonification and for the zoning, for the uh, uh, for the water, for the uh, the distribution and everything. So then you have the water the water meters, the traffic. So then you have the water meter. I just found out that I have a water meter installed uh, in my apartment. So what I'm going to do now, I call Florida Power and Light, and I said, you have to uh, take it out. So they are charging me $89 plus $16 extra. Let me tell you what the water... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, FPNL takes out the water meter, or do you mean water and sewer take out the water meter? Uh, It's both. So, so it has an electronic device? Yes, it has an electronic device. So what, what happens is when you open the door, they know that you're opening the door. They know how many people are in the house, and they know exactly how much you um, you spend in electricity and water and everything else. So it's like they're watching you. Yeah, uh, it's, that is just, that's pretty, pretty much okay. Big Brother. So now they're pushing the 5G. Okay, 5G... Is it's it has so many problems in in England. They even they took the the government to the uh, to court and they won because why? Because it it just uh, it gives so much um, bandwidth. Yeah, and it's very bad. Is it true that it knocks down birds? Yes, it is. And Make bees. birds crash into each other and stuff. Yes, and it, I heard that. I don't know yeah, if it's true. Yeah, and it is true. So now they are fighting that. So they are pushing that in Cora Gables. I mean, it's yeah, but five G. You uh, there's a government, but there's a using, federal mandate to become a smart city uh, right now and by twenty twenty five. But that's uh, but that's Agenda Twenty One. That's exactly what happened. What happened was with, after 1992, they it was Bush who signed, and then 1993, you, you want to take But one? I think, I, was it our phone or your phone? Oh, it's, I think it was yours. <laughs> it was a cell phone. So 1993. Because Ed won't turn off the phone during the show. 
And he said he wants he, to speak. He likes to be connected. So Not if you're on radio. You have to be connected, you in, have to be connected in, to in radio. In 1993, um, what happened was that Clinton, uh, the Senate, uh, did not sign the treaty. So what happened? He did... Uh, an executive order, and and he the, he did the presidential council for sustainable development. So the only thing that those guys had to do is to make sure that the agenda for Agenda 21 for the from the United Nations was taken down to local level. So why don't we know about it? It's just because we thought that it was just. In other words. Uh Hey, you know, Statues and Stories is coming on, and he must be early. What time do you have? I have... That's Adam. That's Adam, so close the door. Our show is about to end because we have Statues and Stories, so thank you very much for for coming, and uh, we'll We'll speak more about this uh, Agenda 21. Hey, Adam, you are right on the money, and we are psychobabbling beyond 7 o'clock, so... Stay free, my friends, and hold on so we can end this show. This is the the end of the Concrete Conservative Show, WSQF 94.5 with Victorious Ed Vidal. I'm going to start calling him Timmy Term Limit Vidal. And Magdalena, thank you for coming. And uh, thank you I like what you uh, I liked very much what you had to say at the end here. And, uh, uh, you know, Trump 2020. Yes, sir. Stay free, my friends. We'll be back in a moment with the Statues and Stories show with Adam Levinson. Adam, uh, you might as well give us a little sneak peek of what you're going to be talking about in, in about one minute. The Bill of Rights. All right. Uh, are you going to give Ed Vidal rights today in the show, in this Bill of Rights? That's a good question. So the Bill of Rights protects rights. It doesn't give rights. It right. protects rights. Oh, I stand down. How chewy. We'll be back in about... I would say about 40 seconds. If you like our programming on WSQF 94.5 in Key Biscayne, you can also hear us very far away nationwide, WSQFradio.com. And if you like our audio files and our subject matter, subscribe to YouTube Mac on the Rock Rampage. Take care and stay free.